Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rich. On episode 236 of My Take Radio this week, we're going to break down UFC Fight Night 46. We're also going to get into the WWE Battleground pay-per-view, Monday Night Raw, the week's wrestling news. And, of course, we got some gaming news on tap this week. And last but not least, entertainment rounds things out. We got a lot of Marvel and DC news, especially some stuff coming out of San Diego Comic-Con. And in addition to that, we got a couple of announcements with regards to how we're going to be doing the show going forward and a lot of other stuff on deck as well. My Take Radio episode 236 starts right now. The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Hey, what's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 236 for Thursday. Uh, G- wow, I didn't even know what day was. Thursday, July 24th, 2014. I'm a little rusty. Our caller number, 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number, 347-324-3541. For those of you tuning in for the first time, My Take Radio is a variety show covering the latest news and opinions in the worlds of MMA, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. As always, the show is rated M for Mature, and anytime you want to participate, again, our call at number 347-324-3541. All right, so lots to discuss. We were, we were off last week. Uh, we were working uh, this event called the Sweet Sweet Event. Um, shout out to Danny from Royal Flush Magazine for working the event with me and uh, helping me throughout most of the evening. Uh, shout out to her. Also, uh, we got some new equipment, uh, brand new mic courtesy of our friends at audio technica which i will be reviewing and um i'll be having a review on that on mytakeradio.com but i figured let's go trial by fire and throw it all to the wind and try out this brand new mic tonight on air figured it'd be a great way to get back into it uh one of the things i like it feels like my volume is a lot louder than usual usually i feel like i gotta tweak the volume and make myself extra loud to excuse me, to come out clearly, but it seems this mic really brings out um, a little bit more pep. They also sent me a uh, a side address microphone, which I'm actually going to discuss with Andrew at some point during the week. Um, for those of you that are noticing some improvements in the video, uh, we are using something new. Um, Andrew helped us out with that through Wirecast, so shout out to AZ at GFQ for that. 
and um, everything is running on all cylinders. I am learning this Wirecast stuff, so we can't do all the fun stuff we were doing with the picture in picture and everything until I'm able to uh, really work out all the bugs. Once that's up and running, uh, we'll be able to address that. But um, as I said, we covered the Sweet Sweet event, which was really cool. They showed a lot of really great collectibles and toys um, from a lot of great companies. Uh, Hasbro, we got to play with Marvel's Disney Infinity 2.0, which is fucking amazing. Uh, we got to play uh, Skylanders Trap Team, which was also very cool. Of course, you can find photos from that event on MyTakeRadio.com or on our Facebook fan page if you want to check that out. We're definitely going to be working with a lot of those companies in the coming weeks, uh, doing some more giveaways and stuff, which I got a little bit of a rant I want to get into with regards to giveaways um, because, as always, every every couple of months I got to come out of character and uh, kind of give my audience the business a little bit uh, for multiple reasons, but in any event, I'll get into that shortly. Uh, during my absence, those of you that were downloading the My Take Radio show off of iTunes were treated to the first episode of The Buried Show. Our very own Cork and Blade stepped up and recorded a live Buried Show. Well, it was it was live when they did it uh, post-Raw last week, and they really did a tremendous job. They killed it. Uh, definitely shout out to Cork and Blade for delivering uh, a very, very memorable first episode of The Buried Show. Of course, if you have iTunes, you can download that along with all our other shows, uh, regular episodes of My Take Radio, MTR Beyond the Mic, and MTR Behind the Mic. Both of those you'll be able to get via iTunes, Stitcher, and all the usual places. So shout out to those guys for stepping up last week. Uh, a lot of great feedback for The Buried Show, people reaching out via social media, telling me that those guys did a tremendous job. And, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, John Blade is my nephew and and Quark is his boy. And um, they did a they did a, a bang up job. So definitely props to those guys. Very proud of them. And um, you guys can check that out, like I said, on MyTakeRadio.com or via iTunes. So last week into and we announced the winner Monday, we did a contest for the purge. Of course, the purge anarchy hit theaters uh, this past Friday. And the company that put out the film reached out to us and decided to hold a contest. Now, the rules of the contest, ladies and gentlemen, were very, very simple. Look at the post, write on our fan page how you would survive the purge, and you would win a purge survival pack. Pretty easy, right? Originally, we were just going to go with the person who had the most innovative idea that had the most likes, but as the as the days went on, I noticed less and less people were inclined to enter. Now, the funny thing is our our listeners, they, a lot of them, they, they shared the post. It made its way through social media. They did a lot of stuff to really get the word out, but people didn't participate. Now, it annoys me for a couple of reasons. I understand the prize pack was a T-shirt size large and a purge flashlight, but regardless of what the prize was at least participate. You don't know if you're going to be chosen or not, but the participation of the audience dictates whether we get to participate in other contests. Maybe you didn't care about the purge, maybe you you know, maybe the purge wasn't something you gave a shit about, but you have to you guys got to look at the bigger picture and you know, I I don't like coming on here and playing like the dad and admonishing you guys because it's just it's just not the way to go. 
But let's be realistic. Uh, a lot of you guys reach out. Hey, Rich, you know, you're going to do any contests. You're going to do any giveaways, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I'd love to. Like I said, I got tons of shit to give away. But if you guys can't participate in the easiest of, of contests, it, it, it really just, you know, it, it raises it raises a red flag because I understand. Listen, Facebook sucks. And a lot of our updates don't reach you guys. And it's a pain in the ass. I, I, again, I understand that. But we the contest was on the site. The contest was on Twitter. The contest was on Google Plus. Uh, you know, I it was it was everywhere it needed to be. I even shared it on my personal Facebook. And a lot of people went out of their way to make sure that the update got out there. So, again, you know, you guys have to take into consideration. You guys want cool shit. You guys want the show to grow. You want us to cover stuff. You know, participate. It, it takes two seconds. Hey, I'd survive the purge with a dildo cannon, a spike bat, and five cases of Hennessy. You know, that's all it takes. Ha, 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 that's funny. And, and that would be it. Go about your business. It's really not that difficult. Yes, I, I, I excluded the staff, obviously, because this was coming from the, you know, the, the company, the studio that was putting out the purge. And I didn't want any problems, but again, it was, it, it, it was the easiest of contests. In any event, we did get a winner, uh, James Cleary. Uh, congrats to him who won the contest, and we sent his information over, and he should be getting his prize from our partners in the coming weeks. But again, like I said, we got tons of stuff to give away, and participation is key. I'm not going to beat it up. I'm not going to go too crazy, but it's just something that really um, came to my attention. And I discussed it with Slick and with the rest of our staff. And it's, you know, it, it's it's mind boggling. It really is some mind boggling shit because you look at it and you're like, oh, man, this contest is easy. So, again, you guys want the cool stuff. You guys want to participate. You guys know what you got to do. Uh, second thing. Um before we took the week off, the the show prior, I think clocked in at about three hours and 45 minutes. Uh, my editing time for a three hour and 45 minute show was roughly two and a half hours. So when it boils down to it, it's roughly between five and a half and six hours between broadcasting and editing. And as much as I love to to come on here and do the shows with you guys and stuff, the editing just way too fucking long. So I'm going to be testing something out the next couple of weeks. And um, here's what we're going to do. On weeks where MMA news and gaming news are light, we will be skipping MMA and gaming for that week. And then the following week, obviously, if there's news, we will address those segments. Wrestling and entertainment are different because those are our longer segments and there's always news in that arena. For instance, this week, a lot of MMA news. So there is an MMA segment this week. Plus, on the wrestling side of things, we got a lot of stuff to discuss. And on the gaming side of thing, I, it was a little light this week, but a couple of things happened today that I want to discuss. And I'm sure Slick will stop in to join me to discuss some of that stuff. But I am going to try alternating weeks depending on what type of news we got to discuss that week. If it works, it will be an ongoing format. In the event that it's not, here's what, we, here's what we're going to plan on doing. And again, we're probably not going to try that out till at, at least the end of August. 
we're going to do two shows a week if that's the case if we if we figure that that's easier we'll do two shows a week uh wednesday nights at 11 and thursday nights at 11 same thing uh wednesday night show will be mma and wrestling thursday night show will be gaming and entertainment now the reason i'm doing that is because you got one short segment one long segment obviously the longer segment um on the combat sports side is the wrestling the mma being the shorter same thing with gaming and entertainment but we're not going to start testing that till maybe the end of august so that's the plan right now like i said alternating weeks depending on news volume for segments if it, it you know if it just becomes too much of a pain in the ass then we're going to test out doing shows twice a week and the plan is uh wednesdays and thursdays and the shows i'm trying to shoot for maybe 90 minutes the average show during during every other thursday is three hours so you know we're trying to split that in half and maybe we'll try and do that hour and a half a piece and we'll do it that way again you know it's it's just um it's one of those things the the editing just takes way too long and i figure a 90 minute show might take me half an hour to edit in which case you guys will get more shows during the week if you want to share your thoughts on that, feel free to reach out via social media at My Take Radio or through Facebook, or if not, as always, comment section, email, whichever works, and we'll we'll test that out. Again, we're not going to do that till the end of August. So there you have it. As for an announcement, so My Take Radio is approaching 300 episodes, and as such... Um, you know, 300 episodes of MTR, we are working on something new. I can't, I can't give too much away except that the MTR that you guys know, and this relates to the site as well as the show, it's, it's, it's going for, it's going to be changed. That's all I'm saying. My take radio will always exist, but it, it will be changing. Um, if not by show 300, then definitely right around right around that point you know between 270 and and 300 it may change if not sooner again we plan on launching something ridiculous and um it takes it's taking us a lot of work and most of the staff knows what's going on those of you that don't know or that may have forgot what we discussed or maybe were a little a little inebriated you guys know who you are then um, we will do a conference call with the staff within the next two weeks to really, really get into it. But I will say that's all I'm going to tease for now. And um, if you guys want to find out more, obviously stay tuned on our Facebook fan page or on Twitter for that. All right. So tonight's topics, we got a UFC card. We got to discuss. We got to talk about WWE Battleground. We have to, of course, talk about monday night raw and option c we got the gaming news for the week and we got entertainment news before we get into that like i said i wanted to talk a little bit uh a little monologue for this week and it is regarding something that was very interesting and it was an email i got from a guy named from i think his name was brennan or brandon if i butchered your name i apologize anyway dude sent the email uh the week we were off and pretty much the email was asking if I ever gave consideration to doing a show, kind of like a vlog, a video, a video blog, um, you know, covering just like everything else, 
And the reason that, that this person asked that is because they've listened to the show. They hear all the crazy stories, whether it's, you know, personal stories or things that happen. And they were wondering if I had given consideration to doing a vlog or something short, you know, nothing crazy either on YouTube or as as bonus content. So to answer that question, it's funny that I got that email last week because somebody else asked me about that and I've thought about it. It would be, um, you know, it, it'd be cool to do. But again, uh, taking time into consideration, I don't know if people would want to sit there and hear my crazy ramblings about anything other than the stuff that they're into. But, um, you know, I appreciate the email with the, with the response and, um, I figured I'd answer it on air. Uh, I've thought about it, but at this, at this point we're working on launching something cooler. Um, simple as that, but I appreciate the email and that's pretty much that. Anyway, let's not beat this up anymore. We got some MMA to discuss. Let's get that ball rolling. Shall we? As always, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Get the latest and greatest gear, rash guards, training gear, fight shorts, you name it, they got it. Make sure to check it out at MMAWarehouse.com. So, this past weekend was UFC Fight Night 46, and on paper, this was a card that really jumped out as, uh, oh, wow, this is a pretty solid card. The only problem with this card was, obviously, an international card, and people didn't get to enjoy it to its fullest. But if you did get to check it out, you will know that this card delivered on all cylinders. Uh, one of the things that got me was, obviously, there were a lot, a lot of great Irish fighters being showcased, and they really killed it in every one of their fights. It wasn't even a question of, oh, you know, this guy, a decision, this guy, that. It was it was fantastic. Uh, one of the fights I want to talk about was Chris Dempsey taking on Alir Latifi, at a light heavyweight 205, um, Alir Latifi is a problem. Dropped Chris Dempsey with a right hand. Um, actually, it was with a leg kick first, and then he followed up with a right hand that just put him to sleep, and it was lights out. It was a nasty, nasty, nasty uh, TKO uh, victory via two, two minutes, seven seconds in the first round. I was really, really impressed. Uh, Latifi definitely made a case for himself in the light heavyweight division. Ian McCall took on Brad Pickett, who is another um, impressive fighter. Uh, Uncle Creepy himself looked incredibly good in his fight. Uh, he takes the victory via unanimous decision. Now, the funny thing is, a lot of people talk about Ian McCall being a potential challenger in the flyweight division. I think uh, McCall probably needs one more fight to really establish himself, but one thing that doesn't need any establishment is his you know the fans really loving uh just his overall persona i mean spill bag of ice from fight insight radio uh great friend of the show always speaks highly of uncle creepy and um again it was just a, a very very solid fight uh the other fight zach cummins and gunner nelson at welterweight was ridiculous gunner nelson with a beautiful rear naked choke in the second round uh the transition was academic as could be it you know it was it was very very well done i saw it i saw it and i was just like holy shit that really worked 
that really that, that transition was so smooth that you'd blink and you missed it. It was it was so great. Um, Gunnar Nelson, another guy just making a case for himself at welterweight. A lot of people who spoke very highly of him on Twitter. I've only seen him fight a handful of times, and when I when I saw the the fight, I was like, wow, that was really really great technique and super impressive. Of course, your main event, Conor McGregor, Diego Brandao. Of course, everybody talks about Conor McGregor stepping up, being the next Chael Sonnen. Um, of course, the Irishman, uh, hardcore shit talker. But every time he talks shit, he goes in there, he gets gets the job done. I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. Um, Conor McGregor is going to be a guy that's going to be on everyone's radar. I mean, he's already got a fight lined up for UFC 178, and we're going to talk about that card very shortly. But overall, I really like that. I think all the Irish fighters had a tremendous, tremendous experience for their paper for this pay per view. Not only because it was being fought in Ireland, but because it really put a lot of guys on the map. Conor McGregor definitely made a case for himself in that division. I was, like I said, thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with McGregor. I felt that he really had a lot to offer. And, um, you know, I wish I wish definitely that he has a long career and he really steps up and he can get a title opportunity because, like I said, super impressed. I didn't realize that McGregor was going to come in and really make that sort of a statement. Like I said, it was just an impressive performance overall for Conor McGregor. But um, that's not the only thing that happened this week, and we're going to get into that as well. So let's uh, recap. Like I said, Conor McGregor, he also got a performance bonus, $50,000. Gunnar Nelson also got a performance bonus of $50,000. And the fight of the night bonus went to Cathal Pendred taking on Mike King. Again, uh, great performances from all the fighters. Uh, definitely a, a great time for Ireland and a great time for Irish MMA. So it was all good. Definitely a solid, solid card. Plus, we got Bellator tomorrow, UFC this weekend. We got a ton of fight announcements. So let's get into the week's news. Uh, first up, Gina Carano is the subject of discussion this week as Dana White has gone on record saying that he plans to have Gina Carano signed to a UFC contract within the next week with a plan to have her fight Ronda Rousey in December. Now, a couple of things can be said about this. Obviously, number one, uh, Gina Carano coming in after a five-year layoff pretty much jumps back into the title picture. I don't know if she's going to be doing a super fight, but I will say that she basically is going to come in and leapfrog um, a lot of ladies to get an opportunity against Ronda Rousey. Obviously, her pedigree and her contributions to the sport cannot be ignored, but it's definitely something worth noting because, like I said, Ronda is a great fighter, but there's a lot of women in the wings that definitely deserve opportunities. Like I said, uh, Kat Zingano, uh, Holly Holm definitely needs one or two fights, but in any event, this fight is going to be a huge payday, especially if it's done in December to close out the year. It, it is going to make ridiculous amounts of money. There's tons of mainstream appeal in, from multiple angles. Number one, obviously, Gina Carano and her Hollywood career. Ronda Rousey's fledgling Hollywood career, all, all factors in the promotion of this fight. Not to mention the fact that there's definitely going to be I don't I don't want to I don't want to say shit talking because, you know, Ronda Rousey does respect uh, Gina Carano, but they're definitely going to go out of their way to sell this fight 
they'll probably say, you know, the the original face of women's MMA taking on the new face of women's MMA, you know, something hokey, something crazy. I really do hope that it's promoted right and the fight does deliver. But I will say this, if Gina Carano comes in after a five-year layoff and beats Ronda Rousey in a non-title fight, it's going to raise a few eyebrows. Now, everybody says that the fight will probably be contested at a catch weight, which is understandable because I sincerely doubt that Gina Carano's making the weight limit for the current weight class that the UFC has. We've talked about this before, her countless nude weigh-ins when they were fighting in strike force and she could barely make the weight then. But it's definitely something that we're going to be monitoring with much interest. Like I said, Dana White's gone on record saying that he plans to have her signed within the next couple of weeks. So be on the lookout for that. In some fight card news, UFC announced their UFC Fight Night 49 card. That's going down August 23rd in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, a couple of great fights on that card, including Benson Henderson, Rafael Dos Anjos, uh, Francis Carmon is also fighting on that card, as is Damian Maya, Jordan Mean, Max Holloway. A lot of really solid fighters on that card. Again, that's going to be going down August 23rd, and you can watch that on Fox Sports 1, and the prelims will be on Fox Sports 2. So there you have it. UFC Fight Night 49 definitely is taking shape. But this Saturday, we have an awesome card. I, I cannot stress enough how awesome this card is. It goes down UFC on Fox 12 on Channel 5, not Fox Sports 1, Channel 5. Your main event, Matt Brown, Robbie Lawler, definite title title contention fight there. Uh, the winner will probably go on to face Johnny Hendricks. It is tremendous. Matt Brown, Robbie Lawler, the immortal Matt Brown has been on a tear lately. Robbie Lawler obviously is, always delivers fireworks in every fight. Also, the co-main event, Anthony Rumble Johnson, making, you know, after his very, very successful return to the UFC, continues to try and make a name for himself at 205. He's going to be taking on Little Nog. Also, Dennis Bermudez, Clay Guida, which is going to be tremendous. Clay Guida, a human highlight reel, pretty much Blanca from Street Fighter, bouncing all over the place, is going to be a great fight. And the opening fight, Bobby Green, Josh Thompson, definitely cannot be ignored. So, be on the lookout for that again. That's the Fox card, uh, Channel 5, 8 p.m. The prelims are going to be on Fox at 6 p.m. Darren Kriukshank taking on Jorge Masvidal is going to be a problem. Uh, Patrick Cummins, Kyle Kingsbury is also going to be a solid fight. Uh, those two fights in particular. The other prelims that you can watch are the super early ones. If you got UFC Fight Pass, you can check that out. But again, I cannot stress enough, the UFC on Fox card this Saturday is a problem. So let's switch gears and go into the Bellator side of things. Of course, Bellator has their card tomorrow night. I'm going to try and get the weigh-ins and have them on MyTakeRadio.com for you guys to see. But they actually signed two really, really dangerous but exciting fighters. Uh, the first one, of course, Paul Daly, who many of you know as the guy that sucker punched Josh Koscheck after the bell and was released by the UFC. Paul Daly, every time he fights... It is fireworks. It is devastation all the time. It's it's usually somebody getting put to sleep in devastating fashion. And then in addition to that, they signed another awesome fighter, and that's Melvin Manoff. Uh, Melvin Manoff is a psychopath. This guy, 28 and 11, uh, really, really dangerous, especially um, if you've seen any of his kickboxing fights. Do yourselves a favor. Look up Melvin Manoff. 
he is he is sick. He is a he is a, a devastating devastating fighter. And the addition of him and Paul Daly to the now Scott Coker run Bellator promotion is going to make things very very interesting. And like I said, Melvin Manoff, I'm 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 dying to see that dude fight. Um, I actually became familiar with his fights uh, courtesy of a friend of mine. Of many of you know him, Bloodstain Lane, who used to speak so highly of him. And I started trying to catch his fights on YouTube. Then I saw a couple of the Glory cards. Then I saw a couple of fights on um, you know some of the smaller promotions he fought with. And the dude is he is a beast and definitely hype. Like I said, to see him in Bellator. I'm a little bummed. I, I would have liked to have had Ben here to go over that because that is a huge, huge signing. But in any event, Melvin Manoff, Paul Daly, Bellator bound, it's it's going to be interesting for sure. So as I mentioned earlier, Conor McGregor, he had his fight against Diego Brandao, not resting at all, getting back into the thick of it, taking on Dustin Poirier. Get this, UFC 178, which originally... If you remember, UFC 178, your main event was John Jones taking on Alexander Gustafson. Well, you can scratch Alexander Gustafson off of that fight because he tore his meniscus and he will be replaced by Daniel Cormier. Of course, Daniel Cormier undefeated thus far, made the drop from heavyweight to 205. Uh, last fight against Dan Henderson, he won via submission. A uh, lot of animosity between him and John Jones. A uh, tremendous fight for multiple reasons. Number one, Daniel Cormier's, his, um, his wrestling pedigree is, a, is you can't ignore it. It's, it's insane. John Jones, obviously, you know, is, is a freak of nature. He is a super athlete in every sense of the word. And to see these two guys finally square off after all the shit talking, even though it's at the expense of Gustafson's injury, it's still a fight that is going to be tremendous for the fans. I cannot Wait, I can't stress it enough. It's going to be sick. In addition to that, like I said, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier is going to be a problem because once again, Conor McGregor jumping back into the thick of it, trying to make a name for himself, trying to get a title, trying to get noticed. I admire the guy's moxie. And again, it's 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 a solid card. John Jones, Gustafson, uh, Dominic Cruz making his return back to the UFC, taking on Takeya Mitsugaki. Tim Kennedy's taking on Yoel Romero. Um, Amanda Nunez will be taking on the returning Kat Zingano. Those two ladies are already starting to um, build up their fight quite well. Brian Ebersole taking on John Howard and Patrick the Predator Cote taking on Stephen Thompson. Again, Alexander Gustafson is out and Daniel Cormier is in. So make a note of that. Put that on your calendar. Uh, UFC 178, September 27th. It'll be here before you know it and it is going to be in Insane. That's all I got to say. It's insane. Uh, Daniel Cormier and John Jones. If Daniel Cormier, who, by the way, they said was supposed to go in for knee surgery, but his knee just required rest. If this guy goes in there with one leg and beats John Jones, it's going to everyone's going to be blown out of their fucking seat. Otherwise, I just know that the fight is just going to be exciting because the amount of fireworks between these dudes already since the fight got announced is off the charts between uh, Twitter beef and Instagram and just social media. These guys, genuine animosity. And I know for a fact that when they go in the cage, the fight is definitely going to deliver. So it's not often I talk about what the fuck MMA news, but 
it's happening this week. Uh, two reasons. Number one, Vitor Belfort and Chael Sonnen were both going before the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Uh, in Vitor's case, he was going for licensing to fight Chris Weidman. In Chael's case, he was going to see what punishment he was going to receive for testing positive for controlled substances, well, um, for steroids or anabolic substances in two different tests. So uh, when I tell you Vitor Belfort is going before the Nevada State Athletic Commission, you probably say to yourself, oh, you know, the commission's going to come down hard on this dude. They're going to drop the hammer. It's going to be great. That is not the case, my friends. As it turns out, the Nevada State Athletic Commission pretty much uh, came in sat down, kissed Vitor Belfort's ass a little bit, and said that he will be licensed to fight in the state of Nevada to take on Chris Weidman, at which point the UFC jumped on it right away and announced the fight between Weidman and Belfort for December 6th. So mark that down on your calendars. Now, there's a couple of things that can be, that can be taken away from this. Number one, if Weidman defeats Belfort, it is really the end of the TRT era in the UFC. He will be the last hurdle with regards to TRT in the organization, and it will be pretty much put to sleep if Weidman defeats Belfort soundly. Now, if for some reason Belfort beats Weidman and down the road something comes up, some sort of a test, some sort of an issue, it's, it's going to make people very, very upset. As much as on paper, I'd like to see Belfort and Weidman fight. There's such a huge cloud of controversy that can come out of this fight for a multitude of reasons. Maybe Belfort will fail some post-fight testing. Maybe something will happen before they fight. Like I said, this is a fight that as much as I'd like to see it, it is incredibly questionable in terms of just the decision by, by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. It's very, very dangerous. Um, obviously there's going to be random testing leading up to the fight, but the circumstances themselves really just paint a picture for me where if Belfort wins and something happens, it's going to just be a really, really tough loss for Weidman. But then again, Weidman's been on a tear and there's no more TRT for Vitor. So it, I think the playing field will be level, but we'll see what happens, uh, when it ha when it goes down December 6th. Now, you're probably asking yourself, what happened with Chael? Well, you guys aren't going to believe this. So Chael was flagged with five performance-enhancing drugs uh, before his fight with B with Vitor. Uh, they were anastrozole, uh, clomiphene, HCG, human growth hormone, and recumbent human... Wow, I'm going to mess up this. Recumbent human ethropytin, I think is the uh the name of that that was the first failed test that had him pulled from the fight afterwards he was tested again and the second test showed that he had hgh and epo the, that test resulted in chael being fired by the ufc and also by fox but here's the crazy part he gets um he goes before the commission he doesn't get fined the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is great but he is suspended for two years. So he cannot be involved in, in the sport of MMA for two years based on that. In addition, get this, the Nevada State Athletic Commission gave him a fucking job. That's what they did. 
they um he'll have to pay for testing and analysis that showed that he was guilty and um he will not be allowed to fight for the two years but the commission decided to hire chael to improve drug testing measures for the future and also to educate fighters the nevada state athletic commission voted unanimously after a short time deliberating chael's fate how crazy is that vitor belfort a a, no, a, a known offender uh, with performance enhancing drugs gets licensed and chael who was caught in a non-competitive setting not only has to eat a two-year suspension which obviously is you know it's crazy but he got a job out of the entire deal it is the craziest shit i'm reading it and i'm looking at the screen as i'm reading it, and i'm like so let me get this straight dude had pretty much seven different types of performance enhancing drugs in his body but he wasn't competing but he gets suspended for two years and he gets a job it's it's really the craziest shit i've ever heard but hey that's the way shit works i mean i'm glad chael got it behind him i definitely don't think we'll be seeing chael in the ufc ever again but you know stranger things have happened i will say that but you know i'm glad it's over and done with people were talking about it so much and it was just a black eye on the sport as a whole and now that it's behind us things are definitely looking up now to wrap things up we um i did want to say that nick diaz it was announced that nick diaz signed a three fight contract with the ufc and um three fight contract bout agreement is set we don't know who it's gonna be but i have a nagging suspicion that nick diaz will be welcoming anderson silva back to the ufc in the new year I smell it, I feel it in my bones, and not for nothing, that's that's a tremendous fight. Anyway, regardless of how you feel about Anderson Silva's loss or the Diaz brothers, that is an amazing fight if it goes down. But as of right now, as of about an hour ago when I read it, Nick Diaz is officially not retired, back in the UFC, three-fight deal. We'll see who his first opponent is. Crazy times for sure. All right, so that's actually going to wrap up the MMA segment for this week. Like I said, things were pretty pretty quiet, and then they picked up towards the end of the week. But we got a lot to discuss on the wrestling side, so Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! As always, my take radio's uh, wrestling segment is brought to you. I almost said MMA. Jay would have broken my balls for that. Uh, my take radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by wweshop.com. I kid you not. Very own uh, WWE is our sponsor. No joke. Um, wweshop.com. Get all your favorite tees from all your favorite superstars on wweshop.com. And if you use the promo code WWE Save Ten, you'll save ten dollars on orders over $70 or more. So there you have it. Promo code WWE save 10. Who knows? Maybe within the next week or so, we may have our own special MTR promo code, but that's a story for another day. Anyway, let's talk WWE battleground, which 
I definitely felt was a it was a decent card. I know I know a couple of the guys are in the chat uh, and here's here's the thing. Before I break down Battleground, I want to talk about people people complaining, all right? So, people were complaining about the pay-per-view and again, I'm going to complain about the pay-per-view, but I also have um and and this isn't I look at it from both sides. From from a working perspective, from following the the wrestling business for the show as a job, I understand why things are the way they are in certain instances. But on the flip side, I do understand that people have certain expectations for a pay-per-view, and when those expectations aren't met, the easiest thing to do is jump on, on, on your soapbox and complain. Now, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because let's let's think about this for one second. And Jay, I know you're in the chat, so give me a hand with this. The WWE Network is $10 a month, right? $10 a month gives you access to countless pay-per-views, countless special shows, plus the pay-per-views that WWE is running on a monthly basis. Stick with me, $10. When you purchased a WWE pay-per-view, when it was on regular television, you paid either $49.99 for standard definition or $59.99 for HD. Again, a case of $40 for standard definition price difference and a, or a $50 price difference for high def. So when you paid $60 and you complained, you felt that you got gypped. Now, if you switch to the network and you're paying $10, think about this. In six months, what you spent on one pay-per-view, you got to watch six. All right? You got to watch six. So you, you, were, you were saving money every month. On top of the fact that if you only watch the big four pay-per-views, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, and the Royal Rumble and you spent $60 for only those four and didn't watch any of the other ones, you were spending substantially more money. You were spending $240 on four pay-per-views, four, versus $120 for an entire fucking year. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because People go and they jump on Twitter. Oh, the fucking pay-per-view. It fucking sucked. And the first question, do you have the network? Yeah. Oh, you do. Then you didn't fucking buy a pay-per-view. You stupid bastard. You get what I'm saying? Like, like people are quick to jump on it. Don't get me wrong. I didn't think Battleground was great. But you know what I said to myself? I wouldn't have watched this pay-per-view anyway, so I did the WWE a favor because I watched it. Think about it. All those people that didn't watch all these in-between pay-per-views are now watching them for 10 fucking dollars. Does that, does that not trip you out? Because it sure as fuck trips me out. Like Slick just said, giving WWE ratings. Think about it. You go, you have the pay-per-view, it's 60 bucks. You know, X amount of people see it. On the network, everybody sees it. Everybody. Whether you see it live, whether you see it half an hour later, 
in my case, most time, most Sundays that there's a pay-per-view, I get home a little late, running errands, taking care of stuff. But regardless, I still watch the pay-per-view. I still support the product. So for you to jump on fucking social media and 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 complain, and you know what's funny about it? Everybody was talking about Triple H's promo on Monday about that, you know, complaining about social media. And you know what? The fucking guy wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. Mortis says only in the USA. It's still a pay-per-view outside of the US. Uh, Jay says, I know people who don't even pay for the network and are still and still are complaining. Here's a couple of things. Mortis, with regards to what you're saying, outside of the US, some places are still paying for pay-per-view. But other people have access to the network. It's it's starting to to reach all those international markets, which is great. You know, Mortis said, I thought it was a fun special event. That's exactly it. It was a special event. I don't even consider it a pay-per-view. I consider it exactly what I've always said, a stopgap before SummerSlam. You know, Slick just told me it's not a European PSN or Xbox Live. I do believe, though, if you have Apple TV or Roku outside of the U.S., you still might be able to access it. If anybody can pull, oh, you're asking. Um, I think European PSN and Xbox Live were supposed to get it either in June or July, but I know that the Roku box and Apple TV had it already. So those markets that have those boxes accessible to them should, in essence, be able to get the network. That's it. So Mortis says to get the WWE network, you have to put in an American address when you sign up. Yeah, for here. But the WWE Network did is launching in other markets. And that's what I'm saying. I don't have the listing in front of me because it's been a couple of months since the network launched. But I remember there was a calendar that broke down when the UK was going to get it, when all the... Thank you. See, Jay says, supposed to be worldwide by the end of August. Um, Mortis says, I know a Canadian who just got the network, but he said he used a family member's address from the US. Interesting. All right, well... If I can pull it up, Slick, if you can find that information and um, pull it up for me, I'd appreciate it. But as I was saying, you know, you're getting you're jumping on on your soapbox. And this is where social media um, really, really becomes a pain in the ass. And the reason I the reason I'm referencing this before even talking about the card is because during the week we were off the uh, Slick Slick tagged me in a, in a conversation on Facebook. Now, without elaborating on the conversation, um, the, the funny thing about it was that it was about an article about how people in, in, you know, nowadays are way too enamored with technology that they can't even enjoy a simple meal. Now, the funny thing about this was that it spurred this whole big conversation and it did, it ruffled my feathers for a couple of reasons. You know, uh, number one, I am, I am a huge proponent of, of, of good food. Everybody who knows me personally knows I can appreciate a good meal. A couple of days ago, I had a one pound steak for dinner and a, and a, and a side of mashed potatoes. That was probably the size of the mixer that broadcast this show. Um, you know, and one of the things I've learned loving food and having access to all this great technology is that I really like sharing a lot of this stuff with my my friends and my colleagues for a couple of different reasons. Number one, 
it's very easy for me to say to Slick or Mortis, hey, I went to this awesome Italian restaurant. It was great. Versus, hey, check this out. I went here. I had this dish. Um, you know, it was uh, fantastic. Check it out. Order it when you go there. So the reason I, I went into this, I, I'm sharing this, is because the conversation spurred something which I, I've always talked about and it frustrates me to no end. And that is the public's general consensus on how everyone else should use social media. Now, the reason I say this is because Triple H obviously was making fun of social media on Monday, but he also understands its use. And this is the problem. The overabundance of social media gives people voices that sometimes they don't need to have. Now, the reason I say this is because ever since Twitter and Facebook and everything have become mainstream, every little thing that people used to be able to do behind closed doors and not get judged about is now available to the general public. This is it. Like I said, I love food. I love, I love food pretty much to the point where when I was a kid, I, I wanted to be a chef. This is how much I legitimately love food. I kid you not. I go to all kinds of different restaurants. I eat all kinds of different dishes from different ethnicities. I love it. But I will not sit here and allow anybody, anybody to tell me how where or why I'm using social media or technology in any way other than the way that I deem fit. Now, there are exceptions. If you go out to dinner and you spend the majority of your dinner on your, on your phone, you should be punched in the fucking eye because the whole point of going out to dinner with your friends, your family, whatever, is to spend time to be together. If, you're, if your idea of being together is your head in the fucking phone, then you should just stay home. I understand, you know, the core values, you know. But here's the, here's the thing. People, like I said, too much opinion. Mortis made a very valid point. He said, so he said uh, regardless, wrestling fans will bitch about anything and everything, especially in the WWE. Sometimes it's a legitimate gripe. Sometimes it's not. The bitching and such is what's make, what makes the WWE one of the biggest social media hits. And that is very, very true. That exact statement sums it up perfectly. Good press, bad press, any press gets WWE trending in the blink of an eye. You know, that's, that's just how it is. That's just how it is. But the reason that I'm bringing it up is because we, we're, way too, we're way too vocal sometimes for our own good. And this is what I feel. If you are passionate about wrestling, as passionate as I am, as passionate as Jay is, as passionate as Mortis is, or Slick, or anybody else, you know what you should do? Write a blog. Write a blog. You want to know why? Because when you write a blog... They're your thoughts, your way, versus just vomiting them into the atmosphere and hoping that it lands on someone who doesn't think that the vomit stinks. That's it. I'm going to vomit into the air, and some people are going to be disgusted, and then there's going to be a couple of freaks that think it's great, and that's pretty much it. That is how I view social media. Use it how you see fit, period. 
You know, at the end of the day, your your influence and how you conduct yourself on social media is is only important to the, to you and those of you in your circle. You know, think about it. I go on Twitter for those of you that follow my take radio on Twitter and I share occasionally personal anecdotes, um, advice for people that want to get into podcasting or or running a website or any of that stuff. I, I share different things and of course, tons of show shit. But there are certain things I don't go on there to share certain beliefs, certain things like I don't go. I don't use the show Twitter account to talk about religion because my views on religion aren't conducive to the show. Not a necessity. Don't need to do it. Same thing with Facebook. I like Facebook. I like to share my photos with my friends and my family, especially uh, new family members who I've met, especially, you know, when you find out that you're when you find out that you're adopted, you want to kind of connect with everybody sometimes. And um, other times, you know, you find your biological mother's profile on a social network and you want to write, why aren't you dead? But that's that's a different story. Anyway, um, the fact is that when it comes to stuff like that, you really have to pick your audience. And for wrestling fans, there are so many outlets. There's Twitter, there's Facebook, there's Reddit, there's Google Plus. Um, it's there's so many different things. And the funny thing is that people, they just jump out and they say these things. There's a there's a here's a here's a great example. And I'll get into battleground. Um, Stephanie McMahon has an Instagram for those of you that don't know. So Stephanie McMahon's Instagram is very, very cool. You know, she's, she, she, she gives a glimpse into her personal life and she also gives a glimpse into the business, her Instagram, uh, triple H's Instagram. Um, a lot of wrestlers that really are just incredible performers. You really feel a different connection with them via Instagram. So Stephanie McMahon put up a picture of her and her dog. Now, I believe she has a bull mastiff. This is a huge dog. Those of you that are familiar with dogs, you know that bull mastiffs are huge dogs. So she's there. She's wearing a little sundress. She's hugging her dog. And for some reason, somebody said, oh, look at you taking that picture with your dog who looks like Triple H. It's like, yo, come on. You know, it, it's... I understand, I understand you want to write, you know, something cute and funny, but come on, you know, like, like, like people read it and, and they see, you know, they see this stuff and it just makes people come off so terrible, so, so terrible. And th the thing that gets me about it is just the fact that, you know, there's pictures of her with her children and people are like, yo, you're a piece of shit. I hate your character. I hope you fucking die. It's like, yo, this is a lady with her children, with her kids. I, you know, like, like it's crazy. You hear that stuff and you say to yourself, yo, that you, you can't do that, but people do it. And that's the crazy part. People legitimately do it. And it, I just, it just bugs me out. I, I've never in a million years seen something like that. I'm actually going to, um, I'm going to share this picture I want to share it with you guys so you guys can see what I'm talking about. Let me see if I can pull this up. Uh, oh, don't tell me this shit froze. Oh, man. Uh, let me see. All right. So as you can see, here's Stephanie McMahon's Instagram. Uh, tell me if you guys can see this. Do you guys see the um, see the window there? 
Yes, no. Uh, Bueller. All right, so here's the photo in question. You see Stephanie McMahon. She writes, happy birthday to my dog. I love my Mastiff. Somebody writes, you need to go to jail because that's where you belong. What else? I hope Nikki slaps you and you go to jail for five years and everyone hates you. Don't be a bitch if you can't handle it. These are legit comments. You're a bitch. You won't, you won't really go to jail for the rest of your life because you are a dumbass. What else do we got here? Let's, um, yeah, just, just really, really, really terrible, terrible stuff. Like, I'm not, I'm not, listen, it, it, there's always the running gag of it's, it's real to me, damn it. No, it is not real. This is a lady who has two daughters and she's sharing a photo with her dog. That's all I'm saying, guys. Come, come on. Come on. <laughs> like, like, like how insane. No, you know, you know what the crazy thing is? Slick. She has pictures of like her and her kids, her and her children are on here. Like legitimate, like, like I kid you not. Like, look, there she is with her children ready to take on the world with her three daughters ridiculous it is ridiculous and and here's a picture right with her and her kids and um the little one looks like she's got the attitude just like her mama somebody wrote down with israel and the usa um three adorable little girls why are you in jail and these three little girls don't have a mother um yeah so (laughs) this is these are her kids these are her legitimate children and she's sharing these things with the world and and that's what she's got to deal with yo tell me how insane that is (laughs) jay writes i follow a lot of wrestlers on instagram the idiots on there are mostly adults who make me ashamed to be a wrestling fan. Dude, this is the, the this is the stuff I'm talking about. And this is what I mean like and things like this is what annoys me when people sit there and they tell you how you should or shouldn't use, you know, your social media. Because it's like, yo, this chick is using her social media like a normal human being and people are like, yo, you are a piece of shit. <laughs> like like yo, she's just showing a picture of her dog and you're calling the poor lady a piece of shit. Oh, it's insane. It is it is it is sometimes so crazy that it's just unbelievable. But in any event, let's let's get into Battleground. So the Battleground kickoff show had Adam Rose taking on Fandango, which obviously is to continue the uh Lay Cool 2.0 storyline with Layla and Summer Rae. Um Adam Rose, of course, gets the victory with the party foul and the match itself was as forgettable as Adam Rose's gimmick. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because a lot of people talk about Adam Rose and, oh, the gimmick is cool, the gimmick is cool. But um, here's the thing. The gimmick was cool initially. In the long-term, grand scheme of things, it accomplishes shit. It's a guy that's pretty much Russell Brand coming out with his gaggle of fucking people 
and he does a stage dive, and that's it. There's nothing exactly. Thank you. Slick said it best. That gimmick was cool in the year 2000. Absolutely. Had this gimmick came out in like 2000, 2001, people would be eating this shit up. Now, it's it's all right. You know what I mean? Especially when you don't know what you want to do because there's some weeks where they try to make him come off kind of like old school gold dust. You know, they try to tease like that androgynous side. But then there are other times when they try to go with, uh, you know, he's just a party guy. So I, I think that creative doesn't even have an idea what the fuck is going on. On one side, it's like, hey, you know, this is what we're going to do. And then on the flip side, they're like, yeah, well, you know, this week you're just going to be slightly androgynous. Next week you're going to be a party guy. The week after that you're going to be a guy that deep-throated a hot dog on TV. It's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The entire gimmick was, and and I like that Mortis brought it up, Leo Kruger was a better gimmick than Adam Rose. Jay writes, I'm not burned out by Adam Rose yet. I'm not burned out by him either, but the gimmick is starting to wear thin because it's not evolving further. You know what would make Adam Rose's gimmick work? Creating a stable of him and other guys that like to party and shit. You know, him, Darren Young, Zack Ryder, you know, like those type of, you can make them like the Miz's entourage or some shit. Like, add a little, a little, you know, factions are very, very important because factions sometimes bring out the best in certain performers. In Adam Rose's case, he is relegated to just his entrance, and that's pretty much it. I don't hate Adam Rose. I just feel that it doesn't, his character doesn't add or evolve any further than where it is. It's very, very stationary. You know how most characters, they evolve, they start picking up steam, they start becoming unique, they start becoming different. Now it's just like, this is who you are. And Jay says he'll be the new Santino, which to a degree, that's exactly how he's being booked. But the problem is, when you're the new Santino, you're stuck being Santino. And the problem is that if he's a great wrestler, he's going to need to do a lot more than just come out there with a gaggle of chicks and a rabbit in a costume to really, really work. Now, Jay says his character is still in its early stage. You know what the thing is? It, let's, let's, let's take what Jay said for a second. His character is still in his early stage. It is. But here's the problem. If he's in his early stage, we should be seeing more of that character to allow him to grow, to allow him to develop. What, we're, what we end up getting is one Monday he's on Raw, then we don't see him for two weeks, then he randomly shows up on main event. Then we maybe don't see him for another week or two. And then all of a sudden he's back and that's it. The problem with that is that if you want a gimmick to succeed, you need to keep it out there consistently. Like Fandango. When Fandango came on the scene, that motherfucker was on TV, Raw, SmackDown, main event, uh, superstars. He was everywhere. He was all over the place. You got to see that gimmick all the time and it got to evolve and it got to develop in an effective fashion now you know it's kind of just treading water but you know i i can i can go into this and and give my my thoughts on it the entire night but let's let's get into um naomi and cameron's match which was exactly what you would expect a a a steaming pile of shit and the reason i say it is because you have naomi incredibly promising, incredibly talented. You get her in her singles match 
and the entire match is pretty much oh my god ah, 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 ah. that's that's what that match was that match was shit and the reason it was shit is because they keep trying to make you think that Naomi I mean that Cameron is a, is is a is a wrestler Cameron's wrestling is shit it's shit. The entire match came in at under three minutes. I think it was about three minutes exactly. And the reason I say this is because I was watching the match. I opened up an email. It took me a few minutes to, to get the answers for the email. I came back and the match was over. Hold on, Slick. I'm a little confused. I did. I did say Cameron's wrestling. Cameron's wrestling is shit. Naomi's wrestling is fine. Naomi's wrestling is top notch and she would probably benefit from at least one title run before the year is over. <laughs> yes, Cameron's wrestling. Good point. Thank you, Slick. It's true. Naomi's a, a, a character that if you give her, you know how I always talk about sometimes you need a belt to validate a, a, a superstar. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. Some superstars are bigger than belts. Other superstars need that belt to to solidify uh, their their ascension into the upper card. I think Naomi needs that. She needs that title belt to really kind of cement her in that upper card for the women's division. Because right now, your women's division, when you talk upper card, it's pretty much Paige, AJ, and Natalia, and then everybody else is pretty much cannon fodder. That's it, which is unfortunate. Now, if you start getting Naomi up there into contention, you start getting her noticed, it really starts to, to give you another face that you can rely on. Because I almost feel like the Divas division is faces, heels, and the cast of Total Divas. That's it. Faces, heels, and the cast of Total Divas. That's exactly how it breaks down. You got your faces like AJ, who, and I put that in quotes because we don't even know if she's 100% a face, uh, Naomi, then you got your heels, Alicia Fox, Cameron. Then you got Total Divas with like Eva Marie, Rosa Mendez, um, you know, Brie Bella, not Brie Bella, Nikki Bella. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so it's it's such a very, very strange uh, splintering of of talent. Like it should be heels and faces like it almost feels like you book the Total Divas cast in a completely different direction then you do the rest of the uh, of your female roster. It's an observation that I've had. I mean, if you guys agree, great. If you don't, you know, definitely feel free to share your piece. So the two out of three falls match between the Usos and the Wyatt family was tremendous. I, I genuinely thought that the Wyatts were going to take this match. Now, the reason I say this is because I'd like the Wyatts to win the belts and then just drop the belts in the garbage because... The Wyatts don't need titles, but the beauty of it is that you can do something very, very unique. Say they win the belts. It's like, all right, we won the belts. You give them to Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt says, do it. And then they just take the belts and throw them in the garbage. Now, the reason that I think that would work is because they can say, oh, you know, we're not here for titles. We're here. We're here to change the world. And, and, you know, we don't need material things like belts. We just wanted to take them from those that were unworthy. And the easiest thing about that is that it actually makes sense. Now, what's happening is you're trying to make the crowd, 
you're trying to make the the Wyatts chase these titles like they really mean something to them. And that's where I feel is the mistake. The mistake isn't the fact that these guys want the want the belts. It's the mistakes that the mistake that you're making them covet the belts. They should not want to covet the belts. They should want to win the belts to destroy the belts. See, Jay writes, I want the Wyatts to drag the belts around and shit on them in the middle of the ring. And that's, you know, it's very interesting that he puts it in, in such eloquent fashion because that's exactly it. Like, I want the Wyatts to win the belts and just not value them, not give a shit about them. And it's like, oh, you know, um, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan, you guys are defending the belts. And it's like, you mean we're fighting tonight? No, you guys are defending the belts. What belts? The belts don't mean anything. Are the challengers worthy? You know what I mean? Like you can like you can really go go to town with the storytelling because the characters are written in such a way that you can make it legitimate that they don't value these belts. See, with the Usos, it's different because they've solidified that the belts are important. They've become the cornerstone of the division. But now we need to kind of start moving that division forward. And the problem is that the Wyatt family shouldn't chase titles. They shouldn't. There's more story in the Usos or Stardust and Goldust chasing the belts than the Usos holding on to them for too long. I do feel that holding the, holding the belts for this long is going to really just hurt them more than it helps them. Uh, Mortis says, uh, treat the belts like shit and use them to tease the Usos. Exactly. Causing the Usos to be very insulted and disgusted and pissed off. Exactly. See, you guys understand. You guys get it. See, the problem is that people, they they really get upset. And they're like, yeah, man, you know, the fucking Uso, the Wyatts got robbed. The Wyatts, I don't, I don't feel they got robbed. I just feel that they're not going to give them the right story. You know, they're not going to give them the right story to make their title reign mean something. And that's the problem. That's really it. The Usos, I almost can guarantee, are probably going to drop the titles at SummerSlam to the Wyatts. But if they drop the SummerSlam, the, the titles to the Wyatts at SummerSlam, and that's great, I'd like to see where it goes after that. Because, yeah, we get what we wanted. The Wyatts get the belts. But it's the story after that that I want to see. I want to see how they plan on making these guys the cornerstone of a division while at the same time making them not value the belts. I'm curious. I'd love to see what kind of booking they they got for that. So we went from a super exciting two out of three pinfall match to a Divas Championship match with two Divas that can get the job done in the ring, but the match itself just felt very, very disjointed. In addition to that, somebody needs to teach Paige how to call spots without the entire crowd or the television audience hearing her call the spots. You think that just because your hair swirls around your face that I can't hear you say DDT? You know? Like like I don't I don't understand that. Like I listen to it and I'm like I'm listening to the match and you know I have a pretty I I got rid of like my home my good home theater but I still have some decent speakers here in the room when I watch when I watch television or play games and I genuinely heard her calling the spots and I just said see you 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 got to work on that you have to work on it cuz it takes away from the match 
the fact that I hear you calling the match and I knew where it was going, just it was it was crazy. The only thing I have to commend Paige for doing is selling the Shining Wizard like a champion. That's all I'm saying. Jay said, by the way, did you hear the Usos saying they were turned up? It, that is true. The fact that they said they were turned up made me think of Jay immediately, and I had quite the chuckle because it was it was it was complete and utter ridiculousness the way that they are booking the Usos. But it was it was funny. I definitely laughed at it, and I appreciated that. So, of course, WWE had a little bit of controversy courtesy of Lana and Rusev for their match against Jack Swagger. Because they pretty much, in a vague way, referenced what happened with the Malaysian Airlines, uh, the Malaysia Airline plane that was blown up over uh, the border of the Ukraine and Russia. Now, obviously, there's a couple of things that we can take from this. First is the fact that uh, the timing was poor in terms of using that, but... The WWE succeeded in getting their name in the press yet again. Like, people don't understand sometimes that press, good press, bad press is still press. And in in Vince McMahon's case, I'm sure he was probably annoyed that so many people were upset about it. But the fact is that this is what wrestling does. They, they feed off of controversy. Do we not remember Muhammad Hassan with a, with a group of insurgents uh, putting a bag over the Undertaker's head and kidnapping him. Do we not remember that? That was during the height of the conflict in the Middle East. It happened. It happened. Do we not remember when the when the U.S. had issues with Iran, when the Iron Sheik was popular, or when we were still dealing with communism and we were dealing with Nikolai Volkov? No. How about that? Or let's let's go one better. When the Parents Television Council was complaining about the WWE product and WWE responded by, cre- by creating the right to censor. Let's talk about that. Because you guys remember the right to censor. They were a play on the PTC. Mortis brings up a good one. Sergeant Slaughter and Hulk Hogan when Sergeant Slaughter became an Iraqi sympathizer. The guy had a bomb in his house. Because people legitimately thought that he was an Iraqi sympathizer. That was huge. Huge. And people, uh, listen, I understand that the timing was poor. But once again, we, we, we don't take the time to really put two and two together. When I heard it, I said, yeah, somebody's going to say something. And don't get me wrong. Was I offended or upset? No. Did I feel that it was poor timing? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that it was the worst thing in the world. The problem is that, and I've said this before, we are, we're supposed to be the leading power in, this, in the world. The United States is supposed to be the gold standard, the gold standard of opportunity, the gold standard of, of, of freedom, the gold standard of liberty and the pursuit of happiness and free speech and all this shit. And the minute somebody says something off color, that's remotely off color, you immediately get bent out of shape about it. And this, this is the problem. This is the problem. And I joke about this all the time. We're not going to be attacked by terrorists. We're not going to deal with a zombie apocalypse. We're just going to get offended to death. We have become a nation of apologetic assholes. 
Because no sooner did this happen that the next day WWE was apologizing. And it, that's, what, that's what happens. We apologize for everything. And there are certain things that you should apologize for. And then there are other things that you shouldn't. You know, Jay makes a very, very valid point. The point is the good guys wins, the good guys win, and that's the reason for the storyline. Exactly. And that's the thing. People don't realize this is not real. It is not real. You know, um, Boris and Natasha, Rusev and Lana, uh, Ivan Drago and his wife, whatever the case may be, you are preying on the fears of the general public. You are preying on the fear of the unknown. That's all it is. The pussification of America. That's what it is. And and the way I see it is, it was it was it could it have been done a little better with a little bit more tact? Sure. But either way, it got people talking. As for the match itself, the match itself was surprisingly good, a very good uh utilization of strong style. There were definitely a lot of strong style spots. I do feel that Rusev and Swagger have good chemistry, and Swagger's actually really, really starting to develop more in regards to a skill set and working well with people that are new. Like, he's actually starting to carry matches, which is good for Swagger. I think Swagger has come a long way with regards to that. The fact that he was carrying a match with Rusev is, is incredibly promising. But again, you know... They, they, you have to look at it that this angle is very, very important. I'll tell you why. This angle is very important because it is a launching pad for Jack Swagger. Jack Swagger is a guy who, who's always the bridesmaid and never the bride. This is a guy that was a former WWE champion, a guy that has an incredible pedigree, both from an amateur wrestling background and just from the amount of positive press that he receives from management. Yet, on the same note, this is a guy who's, whose career is summed up by playing, you know, the, 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 big, uh, the big dumb jock. That's it. You know, he's Biff Tannen 2.0 is what he's been thus far. And this, this feud with Rusev actually had people chanting for swagger. You know? And, and, and in that particular instance, it really is important for his persona. I understand that you have the whole rhetoric about, you know, the, the, the Russian rhetoric and all this stuff. But again, you got to push through it and you got to find ways to do things a little more tactfully. You have an army of writers, an incredible army of writers. You mean to tell me that there wasn't a more tactful way to deliver that promo without it being super obvious? Definitely. There definitely have to have been a way. That's all I'm saying. But we decided to run with the ball and let the chips fall where they may. But as a country, I feel we need to stop being so apologetic for everything. And then on top of that, we need to stop being offended for things that don't necessarily require being offended. And the best example, like I've always said, is comedy. Comedy is, is a great example. Um, stand-up comedy, uh, things of that nature, it's, it's meant to make you feel engaged, to make you think, to make you feel part of something bigger. And if you're not going to allow the, the humor to, you know, to reach you and, and become part of it, 
and you're automatically going to get offended, then why waste your time trying to enjoy it? That's all I'm saying. Same thing with wrestling. If you're going to watch wrestling, which is a spectacle, an over-the-top display of theatricality and athleticism, and then all of a sudden you're going to get offended because, ooh, somebody said some words that made me sad. It's like, give me a break. Give me a break. You're upset about something that, honestly, again, I'm not making light of a tragedy. Do not misunderstand. But the way I see it, you have to look at things like this as any like as movies, as TV shows. This is a medium. This is a, a type of entertainment. It's all it is. So, you know, take a moment, process it, and realize, hey, these people are actors and they're paid to act. That's it. The easier, the quicker people realize that, the easier it'll be to move past this. The funny thing was that it was the subject of discussion on a lot of mainstream sites, Huffington Post, uh, Yahoo, couple of different sites had it on the front page the next day. And you know what the funny thing is? WWE's probably sitting there laughing all the way through to the bank because they're number one on various um, search engines. They got plenty of social media traction. They got plenty of hits on their site, all because of some off-color commentary. So again, you guys are getting played. Just so you're aware. Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, of course, were supposed to have their match, which did not which did not happen because Ambrose got thrown out of the building and Rollins won via forfeit. Now, a lot of people were upset that this match did not happen. And I gotta tell you, don't be upset. We don't get we don't get this very often. And when you're asking yourself, what are you talking about? I'm talking about long-term storytelling. You know that the conflict between Ambrose and Rollins is bigger than just the betrayal. It also affects the cashing in of the money in the bank briefcase. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of things to consider here. Everybody talks about, oh, the crowd got lied to and the fans got played. No, they did not. By not allowing these two guys to wrestle, you allow people to become more emotionally invested in the match. I really, really liked what they did with Ambrose, how he waited outside like a complete maniac hiding in the trunk of the fucking car. You know, it, it was it was it was very, very, very well done. I enjoyed every part of that because it shows that Ambrose as a persona is a fucking maniac and it works. It works. The problem is that people, they want instant gratification this is a story that if you drag it out to SummerSlam, it's going to be worth it because the match is going to be amazing. I kid you not. You know? Uh, thank you. I like what Jay said. By the way, card is subject to change. People don't realize that. That really, really small print on the bottom is their saving grace all the time. Card is subject to change. It is. But, um... I will say this when these guys finally get a full on match, they're going to steal the show in every sense of the word. That's all I'm saying. So the other thing people were complaining about was Chris Jericho and Bray Wyatt's match. Oh, Chris Jericho comes back and you know, Bray Wyatt's got to do the job. No. Chris Jericho came back and Chris Jericho asked to work with Bray Wyatt. At the end of the day, 
Chris Jericho is going to make Bray Wyatt a better performer. I understand that, again, the, nece the necessity for instant gratification is going to upset people because they didn't have their guy win. But you have to look at the bigger picture. I cannot stress this enough to all wrestling fans. Those of you that are veterans, I'm sure you understand. Those of you that are casual fans, please take a moment and, and take into account that sometimes it's not the battle, like Bray Wyatt said in his promo, it is the war that matters. And his promo Monday night really brought it full circle. And I think that if you give these guys time, they're going to be another dark horse that's just going to come in and steal the show. I kid you not. Now, the Battle Royal, the Battleground Battle Royal was probably the thing that actually genuinely annoyed me. And the reason I say this is because you look at the roster of, of participants and you got a couple of guys in there that on paper would make pretty good IC champions. Uh, Bo Dallas, uh, Kofi Kingston, Cesaro, Rob Van Dam, Dolph Ziggler, of course, and um, Curtis Axel, Biggie Langston, definitely a lot of solid guys in there. And um, the thing that bothered me in this match is that Dolph Ziggler really, really deserved to win this match, either him or Cesaro. Especially in Cesaro's case, without him, with him not being aligned with Paul Heyman, it would have kept him relevant. Instead, you pass the belt onto The Miz, which, you know, just because he's got that new movie coming out and you want to get the mainstream press, you think that by him having the belt, it makes him a better commodity in mainstream media. And I'll be honest when I tell you, it's complete bullshit. It really is. Simple as that. It is complete bullshit. The Miz is always going to have mainstream appeal because he knows how to work the mainstream. The Miz doesn't need a belt. He doesn't. The belt for the, a belt for the Miz is a prop. You know who needs a belt? Antonio Cesaro, Dolph Ziggler, Bo Dallas. Those guys, because that, those belts add some validity to their gimmicks. The Miz doesn't need a fucking belt. The motherfucker just got back. He just came back and he and he's getting a belt off the off the bat. Get the fuck out of here. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. Nope. But to each his own. I know a lot of people felt that the match itself was pretty good. I was annoyed with Heath Slater of um eliminating Cesaro unless there's going to be some serious foreshadowing. Um, you know, some some serious long-term storytelling. Cesaro pretty much was the got played in that match. <sighs> Excuse me. Mortis. The Miz is probably going to promote the Marine 4. Yep, that's what he's going to do, which is why they gave him the belt. That is 100% correct. But answer me this. Does the Miz need the belt to promote a movie that's going straight to DVD? That's like a that's like a bald guy promoting hair plugs even though he's wearing a wig. You don't need it. It's pointless. I'm going to promote hair plugs but I got Maury's wig on. Maury's wigs work in Gale Force Winds. It's it's absurd. It is absurd the Miz did not need the fucking belt to promote a straight to DVD, straight to Blu-ray fucking movie. I'm sorry, I don't get it. Whoever thought that that was realistic booking 
is a moron. That's it. All right, so let's talk about this fatal four-way. Everybody that was upset about this match is a moron. I'm sorry to say. Now, now you're probably saying to yourself, Rich, why are you saying that? Well, you know for a fact that Kane is not winning a fucking belt. You know for a fact that Randy Orton, after his shitty match, is not going to win the belt. And you know Roman Reigns is not going to win a belt to WrestleMania. Stop. I knew Cena was going to retain. It's It was obvious. Besides the fact that they spoiled it with all that accidental SummerSlam shit that leaked out, you knew what was going to happen. Jay says, that's like Roman Reigns promoting Road to Paloma because he and the star look alike. You mean because Roman Reigns is really Kyle Drogo? That's what it is. He didn't die in Game of Thrones. He just put on a vest and came to the WWE. Is that what you're telling me, Jay? Is that what you want me to Is that what you want me to talk about? <laughs> oh, shit. But seriously, you look at this fatal four-way, you could see it from a mile away that John Cena was going to keep the belt. Why? Because this is a this is an intermediate pay-per-view. This is a middle-of-the-road pay-per-view. John Cena's not giving up the gold right now. And I'm telling you, Brock Lesnar's going to beat him at SummerSlam. It's going to happen because John Cena is starting to get some traction in Hollywood. He's got two movies that he's working on. It's only a matter of time, folks. It's only a matter of time. Anyway, so let's talk about Monday Night Raw, which Raw was very, very, very good. Now, the reason is the opening segment was impressive and Roman Reigns definitely felt at home being amongst the main eventers. Now, obviously, everybody says, oh, well, Roman Reigns has been in the main event for quite some time. Yes, but the exchanges that he's having with the main eventers is starting to feel more natural. It's starting to feel more legitimate versus the usual where they're not that great. But he's definitely improving every week and I commend him for continuing to do so. Um, of course, this set up a match between him and Kane, which was pretty decent. Roman Reigns, again, looked like a star in that match, delivered the goods, um, really, really solid outing, and Kane and Randy Orton definitely made him look better. So let's let's talk about Stephanie McMahon and her chicken gizzard cleavage. Let's talk about that, right? So... Nikki Bella comes out with her massive implants, which definitely got supersized. You know, I guess John Cena opted for the combo with the extra large soda when he got her boobs done. But um, she comes out with her backwards hat, her giant cans, and she's, oh, look, it's Brie. It's like, oh, look, there she is. It's Brie, my sister, who I didn't know was going to be sitting in the front row. But that's okay. Because Nikki Bella was put into a match against the Itty Bitty Titty Committee. That's what it was. Uh, Nikki Bella and her giant boobs against all the divas that had small breasts who proceeded to try and stomp the implants out of her body. Now, the funny thing about all this is that this match got set up and Brie Bella got snapped, got slapped by Stephanie McMahon. Okay, good stuff. 
So the crowd goes crazy. Stephanie McMahon slaps Brie Bella. Nikki Bella gets the fucking implants beat out of her by the itty bitty titty committee. And yeah, the match was a complete disaster and it really, really sucked. But at the end of the day, we knew the purpose that it was going to serve and it served it quite well. But we'll talk about what the fallout was in a few minutes. Anyway, after that segment, we had uh, Damian Sandow come out dressed like LeBron James, which um, was pretty funny. Damian Sandow continues to be the subject of the three R's on multiple occasions because he really comes out there and he tries his hardest to make it work. Um, of course, being out there with Bo Dallas, who is so beloved with his gold teeth and jiggly stomach, you know, <laughs> it is it is what it is. I realized with this microphone that I think I'm going to need a pop filter. I think so. I think this thing, uh, this fucker right here. There we go. That should eliminate the, uh, the pop filter. Anyway. <laughs> Mortis in the chat writes, I won't lie. If I got to meet Big E, I would cop a feel. <laughs> Oh shit. I could just imagine Mortis. Now, Mortis, Mortis and I have met uh face to face and Mortis, Mortis and I were about the same height. Uh Mortis uh definitely in better shape than me. Um and I could just imagine Big E who is this massive human being. He is like a handle-sized human being. Um uh, slick-sized. Um meeting Mortis and Mortis just reaching up with, with his slightly oversized hand and copping a feel gently, just like, don't, don't look, don't look. Just, just gently let me grab Big E Langston's boob while I'm talking to him and just reassuring Big E that it's okay. You know what the worst part is? He, Big E Langston is such a lunatic that he would probably let it rock. <laughs> oh shit. Mortis just said Big E is only 5'10". Really? I would have. I actually thought he was about. He was about maybe, maybe six feet tall. Maybe they got lifts in the shoes, because he really does look particularly tall, especially next to like most dudes. But I guess, I guess not. Just let it happen, Biggie. Just let it happen. Thank you, Mortis. That visual is probably going to make me laugh for the foreseeable future. Anyway, but you know, Damian Sandow is a trooper. Bo Dallas is just the fucking worse. Uh, Chris Jericho got mugged by the Wyatt family, even though they taped it the night before. Uh, Dolph Ziggler and the Miz had a tremendous match. It, it started off a little, a little, eh, started off a little suspect, but then it just kicked into high gear. And I said to myself, if you go long-term with this rivalry, you can definitely, um, you could definitely do some things. Dolph Ziggler made the Miz look tremendous in that match. Not to say that the Miz is a slouch, because his ring his ring awareness is very good. But Dolph Ziggler just just made him look amazing in that match, amazing. But you know the 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 Miz's brand new entrance was very amusing. You know, super Hollywood like The Rock, uh, shades of Hollywood Rock, which was good. But um, overall, definitely a, a solid outing. Hopefully, we get a better match. Uh. Let's talk about the Divas tag match. AJ and Paige against Emma and Natalia. 
Now you look at this and you're like, all right, this is great. They're BFFs. They're going to go out there. They're going to fight the klepto and the Canadian. And it's going to be fun times for all. Well, it was to a degree as AJ tagged herself in and hit the Shining Wizard and got the victory on Natalia via the Black Widow submission. Now, when you start seeing people celebrate in the ring a little longer than they should, you know that the inevitable is coming. And it's funny because I got up to get a bottle of water and my wife said, I think Paige is going to turn on AJ. And I'm like, why do you say that? And just as I looked, it's just Paige pulling AJ by the hair and just putting the boots to her. And I think it's a step in the right direction. I think Paige's face persona was very one-dimensional. I think making her the head heel of the division would be good. Just because you got this goth-looking rocker chick, she really can play the heel better than the face. I mean, I understand she comes out, she does the war scream and all that stuff, and it's kind of cool, but it's really not because it's like you're, it's basically Wednesday Adams out there wrestling. So turning her in, making her a heel, definitely a shot in the arm, and maybe it'll be better for the division as a whole. Her coming out there as Wednesday Adams with fucking AJ as her cheerleader, not the way to go. Going this route, making her more of a badass, allowing her to just um, go out there and be vicious, it works. I think it works better. The heel turn definitely was needed. So we got a Zack Ryder sighting, which pretty much was done to get the Slayers, Layla and Summer Rae, over. Uh, pretty much Jiminy Cricket and the Stork. Because I realized Layla's so small and her head is so round. She looks like a little female version of Jiminy Cricket coming out there with the stork, with the big-ass bird. And it's just like, oh, look, Zack Ryder, he won a match. Everybody's like, yay, the crowd goes mild. It's like, all right, Zack Ryder won a match. He didn't win the match because of his wrestling ability and his acumen and his be him being over with the fans. No, 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 no. He won the match because Bird and Cricket were involved. That's the only reason. Bird and Cricket helped him win that match. That's the only thing that made him relevant. It wasn't the fact that, you know, the crowd loves him or he's self-made or any. Nope, just Bird and Cricket going out there and helping him out. It was, it was, it was, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And let's talk about Flo Rida's concert and the fact that you made Heath Slater, an established superstar, continue to look like a bitch to put over a guy who, who sang his three hit songs on a wrestling show in Florida. And none of those songs have been number one for years, but that's okay. That's all right. Flow Rider, go ahead, go out there. You're more over than Heath Slater. It's okay. What? Because you're in Florida. You know what the problem is? Vince McMahon, and I, I was telling John about this. Vince McMahon is two years out of touch. That's how I like to say. He goes, All right, we're going to have Flow Rider perform. And, you know, people that are younger and hip, they're like, uh, Vince, maybe uh, Macklemore or Drake. No, 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 no. We're in Florida. We need Flowrider. Vince, listen. Macklemore, Drake, uh, you know, some somebody somebody who's who's in the top 40. Flowrider's in the top 40, damn it. No, 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 no. Vince, listen. Macklemore, Drake, 
um Wiz Khalifa. Who? Like that like pretty much somebody saying to Vince McMahon Wiz Khalifa is the equivalent of Star-Lord introducing himself in Guardians of the Galaxy. That's pretty much it. Vince McMahon Vince McMahon is probably going to go to back to Florida next time and he's going to say how about Gloria Stefan performing? Vince Gloria Stefan hasn't performed in like 10 years. Yeah, like like that's the kind of shit. Like you would think Vince, you know, they got serious dough. There's a whole bunch of bands out there that want to be noticed, but instead, Lowrider. He'll be the motherfucker that'll ask for the Backstreet Boys or is New Kids on the Block still performing? I can't do Vince as well because my throat is fucking dry as fuck. I could still do a very good Bane. Darkness, you were molded by it. You nurtured it. <laughs> anyway, so let's talk about this. Flo Rida's concert comes and goes, and a um, couple of detectives come out and arrest Stephanie McMahon. So... They arrested her, and it's it's all good. You know, Stephanie McMahon got arrested, and the crowd was cheering. And then all of a sudden, Stephanie McMahon was handcuffed with her hands behind her back. And I said to myself, what the fuck happened to your chest? Because it was terrible. I understand. Look, there's no, let's make no mistake about the fact that Stephanie McMahon has breast implants. We all know this. We all know it all too well that she's got breast implants. It's understandable. What we don't know is that the guy that did her breast implants decided to use turkey gizzards instead of saline breast implants. Let's go to the videotape, shall we? Check this out. Look. Let me see your badge. I'm a police officer. I'm a police officer. All right, now take off these cuffs. All right, take them off. She's under arrest for bad. For what? For what? I need you to back off. For what? Look at look at that crater. That Grand Canyon style crater. Look at it. Look at it. Look at the cab. Look at that shit. I can park a Mini Cooper in there. What about your right to have somebody fill that in with some spackle? Oh my God! You don't want to go to jail. You shouldn't go back to that surgeon. Don't go back to the surgeon. Look at Triple H trying not to laugh. Look at him. I <laughs> look at him trying not to laugh. I I couldn't even hold a straight face. Couldn't even do it. So, as I was saying, so you got you got that the, those big ass craters, and here's the best part: you had you had officers arrest Stephanie McMahon and they pretty much they pretty much pulled out a cue card like this to read her 
her Miranda rights. If you're a New York resident, you know how the Miranda rights go. You, sir, ma'am, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can it will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, a, a one will be provided for you. Do you understand? That's it. This motherfucker whips out pretty much a whiteboard and he's reading the cue card to read Stephanie McMahon her Miranda rights. Do you mean to fucking tell me, you stupid bastards, that you couldn't hire an off-duty police officer to read her her Miranda rights? I understand wrestling is fake and that you hired two guys that probably have been on Days of Our Lives as baggage handlers, but seriously, you, you have the right to remain silent. You could have just as easily just fucking sat there with a... Hold on a minute. See this? This is supposed to be a boob. Stephanie McMahon's boobs, on the other hand, not so much. Stephanie McMahon's boobs are like this. See that? Fucking boobs look like fallopian tubes. <laughs> no, but seriously, you have cops read her her Miranda rights off a fucking cue card. <laughs> seriously, you read her her Miranda rights off a cue card. I I just I couldn't I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with it. I was so annoyed when I saw that because again, you can't hire an off-duty cop to read her her fucking Miranda rights? No. You hire fucking extra from Days of Our Lives and Telemundo. Like that's that's what you do. Those guys. That's who you hire. You go outside and you pick up some some Cuban gigolo and you're like, hey dude, you want to make 50 bucks? Like that's the kind of shit like fake Cuban gigolos like you see in those terrible soap operas on channel 47 or 41. That's what those guys pretty much were. But Whatever. She got arrested. Triple H laughed. And then all of a sudden, uh, yeah, we went to Curtis Axel and Ryback taking on Big E and Kofi Kingston. Now, this match, the this match was pretty much filler because what ended up happening after the match was the bigger thing. Now, you know, I've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks about the new uh, formation of a new nation uh, of a new nation faction. Uh, comprised of Xavier Woods, Kofi Kingston, and Big E Langston. Well, it looks like we are going that route, and it started this week. Xavier Woods was out there uh, barking orders, directing traffic, and we got to see him also on main event, and I think that it's a step in the right direction. The funny thing is that a lot of people felt that the formation of this group was in direct response to the group of MVP, Kenny King, and Bobby Lashley. Now, that's very easy to see, but the, the only thing is maybe that is the case. But for people to go out of their way to try and find similarities, th there's two different things here. MVP's faction is based on power, prestige, and money. Kofi Kingston 
Biggie Langston and Xavier Woods are basing their faction on being respected. I understand that there's racial undertones in the faction. You can see it at first glance. But overall, I think that it's a step in the right direction. And if anything, it will succeed in making them all better. Mortis is saying they just need Mark Henry to return and lead them than David Otunga to be their lawyer. David Otunga, you need him to be like Clarence Mason. You guys remember Clarence Mason? He used to he used to be a manager years ago. Clarence Mason, David Otunga's the manager. Him and Z him and Xavier Woods can take turns being the mouthpiece. Mark Henry, Big E, Kofi Kingston. You got your four man stable. Each person can go after a title. You can have a main eventer in Big E, a tag team in Kofi and Xavier Woods, and maybe a mid Carter in Mark Henry. Or you can switch them. I definitely think that the formation of this faction is going to be good for all parties involved. But like everything else, on paper, it sounds like a great idea. But if it's poorly executed, we're not going to get the Nation of Domination. We're going to get the DOA. It's pretty much it. That's what we're going to get. We need to get something like the original Nation. You need to capture that same magic. And you know what's funny? If you want to get crazy... You have that entire faction, and then you bring in a guy like a Heath Slater, or you bring in a guy like a Zack Ryder to be your Owen Hart of the faction. I'm not a nugget. Like you bring in that kind of a that kind of an individual. It would make people take notice and look beyond it just being a faction of black guys. That's all I'm saying. But either way, any way you slice it, I think that the execution is going to be crucial to get the faction over. That's all I'm saying. So Rusev took on the great Kali in a match that can pretty much be described as a fucking train wreck. And um, it's funny because they sent Kali out to interrupt Lana before Lana said something terrible. Um, the match with the great Kali was god awful. God awful. It was so, so bad. Like there was, uh, listen, during the battle royal on Sunday, the great Kali came out. And the entrance was so fucking lengthy that they sent Kofi Kingston out while the great Kali was still walking to the ring. That's how crazy that shit is because that motherfucker can't move. Giant Fred Indian Fred Gwine Frankenstein looking motherfucker can't walk to the ring. I say it all the time. Send him out with a segue. Send him right the fuck out. And then just have him chop people on the segue. He can use one hand with the segue. And just chop motherfuckers in the head. Because he's terrible. Terrible. Hey, Mortis, you are onto something. Mortis says Damien Sandow should join Xavier and friends. You know what? Damien Sandow would be a great, a great addition, too, in that Owen Hart type of a role. Especially because he's very smart. So you can have great exchanges between him and Xavier Woods. Why the fuck not? I mean... Damien Sandow's like a glorified cosplayer every week, so fuck it. Why not? I think that's a pretty solid idea, Mortis. Um, definitely got to give you props for that. So Cesaro on Monday night acknowledged that him and Paul Heyman are no longer uh, working together and that Cesaro wants to be an authority guy. Um, I'll tell you, his match with Dean Ambrose was textbook. It was it was in our in the three R's column I wrote, it was the right because it was an amazing match. 
it was tremendous great storytelling uh really really physical really in your face very old school ambrose using that really really crazy offense that he does and cesaro just looked like a million bucks out there with ambrose it was good i especially like that ambrose just flipped out just started throwing chairs in the ring being a complete fucking lunatic i think it really brought it full circle and it made people really notice that ambrose was just he's not just a regular mid-card guy that ambrose is a legit dude and like i said he looked incredibly uh incredibly comfortable in that match with cesaro i really enjoyed it and hopefully it's not the last time we see these two guys in the ring together because again like i said very very good so Triple H was getting ready to introduce Randy Orton to challenge John Cena for the belt. Roman Reigns had other plans, goes out there, interrupts, and um, Paul Heyman comes out. And the next thing you know, Brock Lesnar, obviously option C. But what brought everything full circle was the promo from Paul Heyman. This promo really, really solidified why Paul Heyman is one of the best managers in the game today. Because Brock Lesnar is a mono... He's pretty much a monotone, giant monster. And Paul Heyman just brought it full circle, being the one, being the man, the one behind the one of 21 and 1. It was just a masterful fucking promo. There was so much right in that promo that it just would... it, it, It almost made me shed a tear. Because I realized that Paul Heyman is the glue that makes that work. Paul Heyman, Zeb Coulter, these guys, even though they're managers, they're a throwback to when managers were effective. When managers did all the talking for their clients and really drove the point home, whether it was for matches, backstage segments, interviews, mainstream press, whatever the case is, Managers were fucking essential, and Paul Heyman validated that Monday night. It was tremendous. I'd actually play the promo, but it's a fucking long promo. But ladies and gentlemen, do yourselves a favor and check it out. It was it was masterful in every sense of the word, and it really added a um, it really added on an aura to the overall atmosphere. It, me, it really got me pumped for the match as a whole. Which, um, of course, WWE puts a little teaser out, which I'm going to share with you guys because it was it was pretty badass. Just just getting people hype. Um, check this out. I uh, one thing I do got to say there's Brock Lesnar just being a giant monster. Anyway, Paul Heyman, tremendous promo. Check this out. So. WWE's video department is tremendous. See, just good, uh, good highlights. The unstoppable force meets the immovable object. See, not not too crazy, not too over the top, just effective. In every sense of the word. And that's what you need. You need that type of storytelling 
to really drive the point home. And I felt that that was something that was done effectively with that, with the promo Monday night and with, with just this little video package. It was, it was great. Everything about it really brought things together. Do I wish that, you know, we had more time to build it? Do I wish Brock Lesnar was on television more just so Paul Heyman can continue making it effective? Absolutely. But we can't win them all. I will say this, though, that John Cena is probably going to go out there and try and give us the match of his life because if Brock Lesnar is going to hold the belt, you got to make it believable. This is the guy that dethroned the Undertaker that broke the streak. He, it's going to be it's going to be a match full of physicality, crazy spots and tremendous storytelling. I, I pray that it's a good match because it's going to be the match that's going to set the standard for Brock Lesnar's title reign for the foreseeable future. Anyway, let's get into the uh, the remaining wrestling news for the week. Overall, Raw was surprisingly good for a post pay-per-view Raw. I felt that it delivered in all the right places and did all the right things to bring everything full circle. So the first bit of news I want to talk about was an interesting interview with Mark Henry. Of course, we were talking about Mark Henry earlier as joining the faction with um, Xavier Woods, Big E, and Kofi Kingston. But the funny thing was, if you guys remember a while back, um, Mark Henry was being booked as the silverback. You guys remember they were using the silverback moniker, which I always felt was a tad offensive because Mark Henry's a big black guy and silverbacks are big gorillas. By calling Mark Henry a silverback, you inadvertently imply that Mark Henry's a gorilla. Anyway, Mark Henry did an interview with the Huffington Post and he said that um, when they tried to give him the silverback moniker in 2007, it was quickly phased out. He said a lot of people remember the silverback thing. Honestly, I could not do it. I told them I can't do that. I got two little black kids at home. He was asked in the interview, was WWE being racist? Well, WWE not being racist. Excuse me. He said black culture. We dance. We sing. We're entertainers. James Brown said it best. The things we are make people want to be like us. And I understand that. See, we always talk about racial undertones, racial overcoats and things of that nature. And they are prevalent. But there are times, even though I joke about it, I don't feel that WWE sometimes maliciously does it. I think that in, in there are certain instances, don't get me wrong, there are instances where I feel it's definitely on the malicious side, but I do feel that sometimes WWE just relies on the easiest and, and quickest path to get a guy out there. And the reason I say this is because Rusev, you're Russian. You're going to go out there. You're going to have the pro-Russian gimmick. You're going to have the hot Russian manager. And it's going to work. You know, um, our truth, you like to rap, you're a rapper, you're into hip hop, you're going to go out there and you're going to shuck and jive and that's going to be your gimmick. Kofi Kingston, you're going to be exciting and tropical and your logo is going to look like a pineapple and that's it. Like you get what I'm saying? Like sometimes it's not intentional. It's just the easiest thing for the company to do. It's, it's, it's a crazy thing to say, but it's understandable. In Mark Henry's case, all right, we want to find a big dominant force that, that we can equate to a large dominant individual on our roster. You're not going to call Mark Henry the Bull Mastiff or the Mastodon because obviously that belongs to Vader, but, you know, the Silverback, yeah, when you hear the name the Silverback, 
it's funny because the Silverback used to be the nickname of Ryback, uh, who was Ryan Reeves. He used to be called Silverback Ryan Reeves. That was a joke at the time, but that's what he was called. You know, and things like that, it's it's different because that's a that's a moniker that somebody chose to call themselves versus taking a large black wrestler and all of a sudden turning him into, you know, calling him a silverback. In essence, calling him a giant gorilla. It just doesn't work. It really makes it, it definitely makes people kind of, you know, raise an eyebrow because it looks a little sketchy. And, you know, it is it, that's the way it is. Now, Jay says, if they don't play up the, a black angle, it's going to be frowned upon as well. See, that's it's funny that Jay brings that up because there's no there's no middle ground. And it's funny because if a gimmick is too black or too Hispanic, it becomes a caricature of that person. I feel that there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And I'll, I'll use this as a great example. Uh, Primo and Epico. We don't have to have them come out to reggaeton music and come out with Rosa Mendez to really be effective. Why can't they just be two talented uh, Hispanic wrestlers from Puerto Rico that have an incredible pedigree that decided to test their skills in the WWE? Why do we need the extra, you know, like I said, the racial overcoats, that, that racial blanket of comfort that's the easiest path of resistance, you know? I mean, the least path of resistance. It's it's weird, but I understand where Jay is coming from, and it's true. Sometimes you can't go too overboard, but you really, I I just feel that when it comes to to minorities in professional in professional wrestling, there should just be a more an even keel. So Jay says, if Crime Time wasn't used, some black people would ask, "Where are the guys who represent my people?" You know what's funny about crime time? Crime time can be offensive to black people, but I've always looked at crime time's gimmick as um, Damon Wayans and Marlon Wayans from Mo Money. If you guys remember, Mo Money was um, Damon Wayans and Marlon Wayans, and they were kind of down on their luck. I don't want to say homeless, but they were definitely um, not successful. And Damon Wayne's character got a job at a credit card company to impress a girl. And these guys, they were con artists, you know, they were, that's what they were. And they tried to work this big con. And then obviously they became heroes at the end. But I've always felt that crime time embodied that like Mo money, Mo like that. Like don't like when I look at, at, at Mo money and I look at crime time, I see the same thing. Yeah. It's very easy to see that. Shad Gaspard and JTG were a caricature of hip hop culture, a, a play on hip hop culture. And that's the easiest, that's the easiest thing to do. But again, sometimes you got to look beyond that. That's the easy thing to look at. When I started looking at, at, at crime time and watching their, their body of work, I said to myself, you know what? These guys remind me of the Wayans brothers from Mo Money. Like it just felt the same, you know, being con artists being real, you know, being real hood, using that that fear of of urban culture to get their gimmick over. I I felt that those were all essential parts of their character. You gotta you gotta remember when Shad Gaspard went solo and they took him away from that prime time that crime time persona. It just it just was a recipe for disaster. And in that regard, that's when you gotta take a gimmick that works and you gotta run with it. 
I'm not telling you to be the belligerent black guy or you got to you got to have him carjacking people outside of the arena, but you have to use the the urban culture and the popularity in a way that really builds the character up and not tear the character down. That's all I'm saying cuz a lot of people they get all bent out of shape about certain things in professional wrestling. And yeah, I joke about all the racial stuff, but there's also right things to do. Like Eddie Guerrero Eddie Guerrero went from being, you know, lying, cheating, and stealing, and and using that sort of a of a criminal undertone to his gimmick to become one of the most recognizable Latino stars in professional wrestling. And when you look at it, you see, oh man, you know, they're really booking these guys as vatos, as essays. But you got to remember that was a means to an end because once Eddie Guerrero got super popular. He didn't need to rely on the whole essay gimmick. Don't get me wrong. The lowriders and stuff were part of the gimmick, but they weren't mandatory. You know what I mean? Because Eddie Guerrero outgrew his personality, outgrew his gimmick. I even feel that Crime Time, if you would have given them a little bit more time out there, they would have outgrown their gimmick. Look at the Usos. They're ghetto as shit. <clears throat> as much as they try to go out there and try to party and shit, they're ghetto motherfuckers. Remember that when they first debuted, they dressed, and Jay, Jay's going to find this amusing, they dressed like every dude we went to high school with during the 90s. <clears throat> That's what they did. When you look at, at the Usos when they first debuted, they dressed like some real fucking, some real degenerate, not degenerates, but just like real ghetto, uh, you know, real ghetto long-haired dudes. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, Usos debut. When they first debuted, they were, uh, yes. Here we go. So the Usos, when they debuted, I want you to see their outfits. So you can see that they were ghetto as shit when they first came on the scene. Check this out. As of right now, we got the whole world tripping, straight tripping. Straight tripping. About what? I got them wondering about us. Look at the giant collar on that button down. Where are we coming from? They were skinny too. Look at Tamina. Was to come out here last weekend and put the unified tag team champs, Hard Dynasty. Look at him. On their backs. Look at those who braids. Was tall that night, bro? I'm gonna let you know. Let them know. It was Jay and Jimmy Uso. Along with our girl Tamina. Yeah. Hard dynasty, hard dynasty. They look like they should be chased by Dano and McGarrett and Hawaii 5 0. We wanted to let you know that your family ain't the only family that run deep in this business. Your family ain't the only family that run deep. That's us. That's us. All the way from the Wild Samoans back here right now. Future. And we ain't even your stereotypical type Samoans neither. You know what I'm saying? We got fashion. Your we stereotypical your Samoans. Getting your scholarship money. Let them know. At law firms. 
Bottom line is this. You see this, right? Yo, we getting your scholarships. We had to make a name, and you just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Partners. What year is this? Partners. I haven't called somebody partners since 1996. Those braids, though, Jimmy and Jay. Don't get us wrong. You see, heart dynasty. Look at her voice cracking. Absolutely. She didn't hit puberty That's yet. Where you guys come from. Really? You do? You come from a great line of competitors. Really? That the WWE universe respects. Thanks. We appreciate it. A respect that our family doesn't have really your father's jimmy superfly snooker just like my father jimmy superfly snooker in case you didn't know so as i was saying look at look at the look at the boys jimmy and jay just just ghetto fabulous look at them ghetto fabulous and, and again you look at the Usos and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, they're just young guys. They're hip. Really? Did you see that? Did you see how they debuted? What was wrong with that? <laughs> it was so bad. So, so bad. But you know what's funny? I bet you they look at that and they're like, yo, remember when we came out dressed like that? Just looking like fucking assholes? Yeah, man, I remember that. That shit was stupid. Time to get turned up. Anyway. <laughs> It was so bad. So, so bad. Anyway, so yeah, Mark Henry, you know, he, he shared that interview with the Huffington Post, and it was uh, very interesting. I wanted to share that with you guys. Um, the other thing making waves this week, everybody was talking about Kenta's signing with the WWE, and everybody's excited. People are concerned about, you know, what's going to happen with Kenta and how much of his moveset is going to need to be changed. Um, of course, one of the first things is the GTS, which Kenta pretty much used as a finishing move in Japan and was used in the WWE by CM Punk. Obviously, if he starts doing the GTS, we're going to start getting a lot more CM Punk chants. In addition to that, uh, he used to use the Buzaiku knee as part one of his finishers, and that is the running knee that Daniel Bryan uses. In addition to that, the game over finisher that he used to, that he used is, is currently Daniel Bryan's uh, label lock or yes lock. So Kenta pretty much is going to have to come up with an entire new repertoire of finishing moves to get over because obviously the GTS is used. The uh, Buzaiku knee is used and the game over submission is also being used. I'm curious though. Um, first of all, I want, I'm curious what, how they're going to address Kenta in NXT. Are they going to let him cut promos in English? Is he going to get a manager are they just going to rely on his name recognition? I'm definitely very curious about that. In addition, obviously, to the, um, you know, to how he's going to how he's going to wrestle. Obviously, the strong style is the right style for his persona. But I'm sure I'm sure that a lot of people are going to really be uh, super attentive. Jay said it himself. He said he has tons of moves. He'll be fine. It's just funny, though, that the three staple moves that he has are three of the most recognizable moves in the WWE. And of course, the problem is that uninformed fans, as soon as they see it, 
they're going to be like, oh, he's using the yes lock or, oh, no, he's using the GTS without them knowing that the wrestlers that they've been watching borrowed those moves from them. I mean, there's so many different people that are, you know, that, that that they borrow or they get influenced by Japanese wrestling that I'm sure uh, Kenta has some moves that nobody's seen yet that he's been saving for his WWE debut. So we're going to take a wait-and-see approach with that. So Jay says, by the way, knowing WWE, he'll be known as Taken. <laughs> oh, shit. You never know, dude. You never know. As long as he doesn't come out with like a Japanese robe or, or a samurai gimmick, we'll be all right. But again, let's take a wait and see approach because it's very easy to say that he's going to debut terribly. So let's let's give him let's give him the benefit of the doubt. I wanted to talk a little bit about CM Punk because CM Punk is officially in the WWE alumni section, and um, he did an interview recently. He was working a red carpet event for for a music awards show. And um, he said, and, and of course, in typical snarky CM Punk fashion, that he was never, ever, ever, ever coming back. He also uh, announced that he got married. He didn't say to who, but a lot of people know that obviously he's married to AJ. But the funny thing is that a lot of people are curious about how WWE is going to handle it because WWE feels um, that the way CM Punk, the CM Punk situation ended was incorrect some people feel that the with the expiration of his contract and you know the removal of the ro of his removal from the main roster that it wasn't a a um it wasn't a smooth transition so a lot of people are concerned that wwe may try to seek some sort of recourse with cm punk and i'll be honest um yeah we still hear cm punk chants every week and whatever but I think WWE should just move past the entire situation at this point. CM Punk's made his choice. He's made his decision on where he's going to go and what he's going to do with his career and his life. And I just feel that the company at this point should just accept it and move on. The longer they continue to drag it out, the more press they're going to give CM Punk and the more it's going to work to their detriment versus working for, you know, work working in their favor. Jay says that they should sue his ass for breach of contract. This is true. They probably could or they could extend this contract. But you know what's funny? They're doing the same thing with Rey Mysterio. And there's a rumor going around that Rey Mysterio hasn't been cashing his WWE checks because he didn't want them to extend his contract. So a lot of interesting things going on from a contract standpoint with the WWE. But the CM Punk situation continues to get stranger and stranger week in and week out. All right, so, of course, a lot of people are, were talking about the Sting appearance at San Diego Comic-Con this week and um, also the Sting DVD and Blu-ray box set, which will be hitting stores later on this year, which I'm definitely going to be picking up because I think Sting has a tremendous body of work. Um, there's a lot of great matches that everybody's been talking about, and from what I gather, they're going to go with a either a three-disc or a four-disc set for sting and that's going to be the um it's going to be called sting the ultimate collection and you'll be able to pick that up in september so again three to four disc set with sting um of course his appearance at san diego comic-con today was on behalf 
of Mattel. Actually, is it Mattel that does their figures? I believe it is. Um, and not be on behalf of 2K or WWE. Obviously, they showcased a Sting figure and a couple of other figures that are on the horizon. But um, hearing about the Sting box set and knowing that it's right around the corner makes me very pumped. I think Sting had a tremendous career. They got a lot of great matches from what I heard. Um, they even had some of his Blade Runner stuff with the Ultimate Warrior, which is definitely worth checking out. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to discuss, um, something very interesting. Obviously, John Cena wasn't on TV this week because he is filming a movie here in New York City. And there's a lot of talk about John Cena um, obviously filming two movies, The Nest and Trainwreck. And a lot of people are saying that John Cena, especially now that he's getting older, is going to start looking um, at gaining more exposure in Hollywood and perhaps being the next superstar to leave the professional wrestling business and head into Hollywood. Now, <clears throat> the funny thing is that John Cena is going to probably be slowing down, reducing his schedule. And I'll be honest, the guy's been a workhorse for the company. If he steps away or if he decides to go into Hollywood or go into acting or into films full time, I think he has a promising future. I'm not saying that he's going to light up the, the box office like The Rock, but The Rock took time also to light up the box office. You know that The Rock had his fair share of shitty movies as well. I mean, we had his, his appearance in The Mummy 2, his standalone film, The Scorpion King, uh, Doom, Be Cool. He had that weird movie with um, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, of course, he had The Rundown, which was okay. It was well-received, but... It wasn't, you know, it wasn't as well received as, you know, his appearance in Fast and Furious. So, again, his work in pain and gain, you, you know, The Rock took a lot of time to get to where he is. Same thing John Cena is going to have to do. Like, John Cena is not going to leave WWE, go to Hollywood, and become an overnight sensation. It's going to take a lot of time and a fair share of shitty movies. So, for those of you that are concerned that John Cena is going to run away and run off to Hollywood. It's going to be an easier said than done affair that probably is going to take a substantial amount of time. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, that's going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. Uh, pretty, pretty detailed. We're, we're making some really good time. So let's get into the week's gaming news. There was a lot of stuff to discuss. Um, of course, the biggest uh, involves Google and Twitch. Let's talk some games, shall we? So as I said, there was a pretty big rumor that was announced a couple of hours ago before we went live that Google was going to be purchasing Twitch for $1 billion. Now, those of you that don't know, Twitch is a streaming service primarily dedicated to streaming video games. We do have a Twitch channel twitch.com forward slash my take radio tv and we do stream on there occasionally i've been uh i've been so consumed with work and everything else that i haven't been streaming but uh we got some new toys so hopefully we will be able to stream in the coming weeks but in any case uh the purchase of use of um twitch by youtube is a huge huge deal for multiple reasons obviously uh youtube is going to in in essence get a brand new catalog of content. Obviously, a lot of us that do streams, we do like to share them on Twitch or stream on Twitch and then um, in turn upload those streams to YouTube. 
but now by YouTube pretty much bringing Twitch into the fold, I think that it's going to become a a, um, a seamless service in the sense that you're no longer going to require Twitch and and YouTube to do stuff. Everything is just going to be under one umbrella. I think it's a very, very promising time for for the gaming community, especially for those of us that like to stream or those of, or those of us that utilize uh, the gaming medium as part of our business. So um, I'm going to be watching this very closely. Like I said, even though it was announced, it's not 100% formal as of when, you know, when we started doing the show, but hopefully by tomorrow we'll get a little bit more information and I'll be sh able to share more with you guys next week. Anyway, let's get into the week's gaming news. Uh, the first bit of news involves a game that I haven't heard about in quite some time. And that's because the bubble for this genre burst and that is the music game genre we all have our favorite music games at the time dj hero um guitar hero rock band well out of all those titles it looks like rock band is a title that's going to be getting possibly a new breath of life courtesy of uh next gen consoles because harmonics actually put out a survey uh, asking people how often they play the current DLC and if they still own any of their instruments. Of course, the survey made sure to ask if they would, if people would be interested in seeing Rock Band on Xbox One, PS4, and the Wii U, and of course, legacy consoles with new instruments as well. Now, the funny thing is that the game has been dormant since Rock Band Blitz in 2012, and um, the crazy thing with that is that the Rock Band series... And just the music genre series as a whole um, was very, very successful. But I just felt that it just it, it became so inundated. You had Rock Band, uh, the Beatles edition Rock Band, Guitar Hero, DJ Hero, uh, Guitar Hero Legends. It, it just got to the point where it was so oversaturated. And there were so many titles that it was too much too soon. I think if they would have relegated it to maybe a year or every other year, and maybe do instrument improvements or things like that, that the series would still be as active now as it was back then. I mean, I know a couple of guys that play Rocksmith because that genuinely teaches you how to play a guitar. But, you know, the, the funny thing is that a, a series like that with the, with the continued embrace, with the huge amount of music that's out there now, uh, you know, and, and services like Spotify and um, beats music, etc. There's there's so many ways that you can start integrating that music into a new type of rock band game that th I'm sure if they did it right, it would probably be successful. I like what Mortis said. Mortis said rock band could benefit from being free to play and just pay for the songs, 90, 99 cents per song to download. I think that's a very, very good idea. I think it'll give you an opportunity to just go do free to play, play the songs you want at a buck a song, everybody gets paid and you just got to buy new instruments. I think that's a very, very cool idea. Mortis uh, props to you for that. Uh, I'm curious. I'm curious to see if rock band on next gen consoles is worth, uh, is going to be worth the investment. I may pose it to the fan page to see what you guys say about that. And I'm curious because I, like I said, I remember a time when rock band DJ hero, guitar hero was huge. Everybody was pumped. It was tremendous. I'd be curious to see if they can recapture that magic now with the next-gen consoles. Again, once I hear more news, I will share it with you guys.
On the EA side of things, it looks like EA is delaying a lot of their games. Dragon Age Inquisition um, originally was supposed to be scheduled for release on October 7th, has now been pushed to November 18th. So if you were looking forward to a new Dragon Age, you're going to need to change that release date from October 7th to November 18th. Dragon Age Inquisition will be available on PC, PS3, PS4, Xbox 360, and of course, Xbox One. Another game that's getting delayed, and this one's being pushed all the way to 2015, is Battlefield Hardline. Originally, Battlefield was supposed to be out this year, but has now been pushed to 2015. Originally, the game was scheduled to hit stores in October. That is not going to be the case. Now, obviously, they're they're looking on making some changes, and you know, um, Carl Magnus Trotson from DICE said that they need to take more time to ensure that Hardline is the best, most innovative Battlefield experience we can offer gamers. And um, again, I, I don't feel bad about delays because if the delays are going to make the title better, it's something I can truly accept. Simple as that. For those of you that are looking forward to um, Batman Arkham Knight, GameStop is definitely trying to get those pre-orders from, you know, they're trying to get those pre-order dollars uh, they're actually offering, get this, um, a Red Hood story pack, which will allow you to play as the Red Hood. But in addition to that, they're also going to be releasing a Harley story pack as well, uh, obviously allowing you to play as Harley. So if you're interested in playing as the Red Hood or as Harley, then you're going to have to go and pre-order the game from GameStop. Now, Obviously, pre-orders are interesting because, you know, everybody has a love-hate relationship with them. I do as well, especially when dealing with GameStop. I mean, I did pre-order EA Sports UFC because I did want to get Bruce Lee. But again, I actually found myself doing it because I wanted to play as Bruce Lee, and that was the only way to do it. Now, I'm sure there might be alternative ways. Maybe the DLC will be sold later on for Red Hood and Harley. But if you want to get it for free you can head over to GameStop and pre-order your game there. IGN reported that Square Enix will be releasing Lara Croft in the Temple of Osiris December 9th for PC, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. Of course, uh, the Temple of Osiris version of Tomb Raider will utilize the top-down dungeon-crawling game that became popular with Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light. Of course, this game is also going to be utilizing something uh, that's a first for the series, and that is four-player co-op multiplayer. And that's going to be available for the first time ever in this series. And that game, like I said, will be hitting stores December 9th. Now, on the update side of things, everybody was super excited because Xbox One was going to be getting PlayStation uh, was going to be getting Blu-ray 3D support, but PlayStation, not one to be left behind, has also announced that they will be releasing an update to allow your Sony PlayStation 4 to play blue 3D Blu-rays. Now, as a 3D TV owner, I do have a couple of 3D Blu-rays that I, you know, I purchased for the reason that the movies looked really good in 3D. Um, Dread was one. Uh, Pacific Rim was another. Uh, the last Transformers film was another that I picked up in 3D. Uh, again, if you got the technology, it's great. But I do, I do like the fact that both companies are trying to get these these particular things out there because these are features that will uh, continue to add value to both systems 
and allow them to be the centerpiece of your home theater system. So again, step in the right direction. Uh, both systems are going to be getting updates for 3D Blu-rays. Be on the lookout for that. I believe Xbox's update will be available very soon, as will Sony. Sony's update um, will probably arrive. It's going to be firmware 1.75. Will probably be hitting uh, consoles next week. So hopefully, if it if it's available next week, I'll be able to let you guys know, and we can discuss it on air as well. All right. That's going to wrap up the gaming news for this week. Like I said, gaming news was was a little light. Not too bad, but definitely a lot of things worth discussing this week. Let's uh, sprint to the finish, so to speak, and get into the week's entertainment news, shall we? My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by SuperheroStuff.com. Get the latest and greatest superhero tees, merchandise, and accessories by using our promo code RADIO15. It gives you 15% off your entire order, courtesy of, of course, us at My Take Radio and SuperheroStuff.com. You can even pick up uh, something like my kick-ass Joker shirt, which, uh, as you can see, I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. Uh, you can pick up stuff like that at SuperheroStuff.com. All right, so entertainment news this week. Obviously, with San Diego Comic-Con in full swing, we're going to be getting a lot of news, and we're going to try and break and and share our opinions on our Facebook fan page or via Twitter. Um, of course, one of the big pictures uh, that came out today was Ben Affleck as Batman. Now, of course, Batfleck, as he's affectionately known, um, his costume, we didn't get a glimpse of the costume. The only thing we got was a side profile of him with the cowl on and a very, very obvious butt chin for Batman. But besides that, uh, definitely shades of, of Frank Miller's Batman in, in the way that the costume is looking. But um, it's one of those things where pictures and, and concept art, they really don't do uh, the character justice. The only way that we're going to know how he looks is if we get a teaser trailer at San Diego Comic-Con, which is a rumor. Again, take that for what it's worth. Or if we get a full photo, which allegedly one was taken with Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman. I'm sure we'll either see that on Entertainment Weekly or Empire Magazine in the coming weeks. But I do know that those pictures were taken uh, within the last couple of weeks. Uh, Zack Snyder mentioned it on Twitter. So... It's inevitable that we will get to see Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman in costume sooner rather than later. But you can check out the picture of Ben Affleck in costume as Batman um, on our Facebook fan page, facebook.com forward slash my take radio. Okay, so on the subject of DC movies, I want to get into some small screen news. If you've been following the Flash TV series, they're really trying to create this established small screen universe with uh, Green Arrow and the Flash and their respective rogues gallery. Well, um, a new addition to the Flash ga rogues gallery, and this is a, a character that's been around for quite some time, is Captain Cold. Uh, Captain Cold first appeared in 1957, and um, 
His he's going to be appearing in the Flash TV series, and he will be played by a very very recognizable actor, and that being Wentworth Miller. Of course, many of you may know Wentworth Miller from his work in Prison Break, um, which I feel definitely will add a unique level of of really really cold and calculating uh, characteristics to Captain Cold because he's a character that over the last couple of years in the Flash books has become a bit more a bit more badass than usual usually you see him he's got his freeze gun and his really terrible snorkel jacket and he just looks like a clown but given that what they've been doing with green arrow and and green arrows rogues rogues gallery i'm i can i can expect captain cold to not look like a complete clown when he debuts on the flash tv series anyway uh the flash tv series will be debuting october 7th on the cw so, of course, we're back on air, and we got some what-the-fuck movie news for this week. Um, a couple of months back, we were joking about the concept of a Space Invaders movie. We joked about it, obviously, because we've seen how well um, games get adapted to the big screen, um, including Battleship. Uh, there's a trailer for the Ouija board movie, which I actually got earlier this morning, and I'm going to share this weekend but it looks like the Space Invaders game will be getting a big screen adaptation, and it is going to happen. Of course, Space Invaders, I used to play it on my Atari 2600. It looks like they are uh, moving full steam ahead. The rap reports that Akiva Goldsman, Joby Harold, and Tori Tunnell are set to produce the film. Um, as of right now, there is no release date scheduled, but the fact is that a Space Invaders movie is going to happen. Ugh, terrible. Anyway, the other big bit of movie news that came out, and this is on the Marvel side of things, is that Marvel took advantage of all the press for San Diego Comic-Con and decided to drop release dates for other Marvel films. What they are, we don't know, but the dates that they got locked up are July 28th, 2017, November 3rd, 2017, July 6th, 2018, uh, November 2nd, 2018, and May 3rd, 2019. Now, uh, Kevin Feige has said that they're looking to utilize uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as follows. You're going to get one sequel, one new character. So looking at that release schedule, you're going to have one sequel, one release character, one new release character, one sequel again, one new release character, etc., etc. Now, obviously... We're not even fully into Marvel's Phase 2 of the cinematic universe, and people are already chomping at the bit for Phase 3. Uh, rumors are, obviously, Doctor Strange, the Black Panther, a lot of teasers for a World War Hulk film, um, of course, Ant-Man, which we've seen posters for already. So a lot of interesting things going on with Marvel's cinematic universe, and they're definitely going out of their way to become the focal point for San Diego Comic-Con weekend. As always, once we learn more and get the details, we will share them with you guys. Uh, speaking of details, let's get into the box office totals for this past weekend. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was number one, holding on uh, $36 million, bringing its total to $139 million. Um, of course, you can check out our review of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, courtesy of The Rightist. Make sure to check that out on MyTakeRadio.com. Number two was The Purge Anarchy. Number three was Planes, Fire, and Rescue. Number four was Sex Tape. 
Number five was Transformers Age of Extinction. Number six was Tammy. Number seven was 22 Jump Street. Number eight was How to Train Your Dragon 2. Number nine was Maleficent, which continues to go into the record books. And number 10 was Earth to Echo. Now, the funny thing is, obviously, Hercules comes out this weekend, which will probably knock off Planet of the Apes and uh, shuffle the deck a little bit. But Guardians of the Galaxy is right around the corner. And considering all the positive press that the film has been receiving, I definitely expect a record-breaking weekend when it hits theaters August 1st. All right, so while we were talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, there's a rumor going around that they're going to drop little seeds and nuggets for a Planet Hulk film. Uh, Kevin Feige told IGN that the adaptation of planet hulk is not going to happen he said um he did not deny the possibility of hulk being in space but he did not outright say that that is a project that they're going to embrace now many of you that are longtime comic fans know that planet hulk and the the aftermath of it obviously world war hulk were incredibly huge for the character i mean i've always loved the hulk hulk has been one of my favorite characters Uh, Since I was a kid, I've always appreciated the Jekyll and Hyde duality of Bruce Banner and the Hulk. And it's something that I really um, I really enjoy. And World War World War Hulk and Planet Hulk succeeded in painting the Hulk in a different light and just giving us a different level of storytelling that really just. It kind of just really breathed some fresh air into a character that's always been pretty paint by numbers. It's like. Bruce Banner gets mad, becomes the Hulk. Hulk break things. Sometimes he breaks things to help good people. Sometimes he breaks things to help bad people. Other times he just breaks things because he's in a pissed off mood. And the thing with that is that the Hulk character is so... He's he's begging for a really, really good film. I think that the second Hulk movie with Edward Norton was very good. But I feel that there's definitely more that can be done with the character. And... I'm hoping that they really do decide to do Planet Hulk because World War Hulk on the big screen would be amazing. We can't have our movie segment just be full of tons of Marvel news. We got to talk about some DC stuff too. Obviously, we spoke about Batman, but it also looks like The the Rock is going to be throwing his hat into the superhero ring. Uh, From what's been said, he's kind of alluded to portraying Shazam on the big screen and while i feel shazam on the big screen would be great i do feel that the rock would be better served playing black adam instead of playing shazam shazam's character uh pretty much on par with superman in terms of strength and his alter ego billy bastion you can you can do a lot with that character i just feel that if you're going to do something with dwayne johnson you should go along the lines of bringing him into the dc universe as black adam because you can have him be involved in other films besides Shazam. Obviously, creating a brand brand new Legion of Doom with Lex Luthor would allow a character like the Black Adam to be seen in other films. Um, Again, he didn't confirm who he was playing, but he definitely alluded to being Shazam. We'll see if that's the case as the weeks go by, but he definitely has been teasing it quite a bit. Um, a lot of people thought that he would be playing, uh, you know, John Stewart, Green Lantern. Um, he said the following, and I quote, 
Uh, there's a character out there that we're going to announce soon. He has the power of Superman, but it's not the Green Lantern, by the way. Believe me, John Stewart, he's a character who I wanted to play, but there was already a version of Green Lantern. So now we've gone in a slightly different direction, but this character has the power of Superman. He can throw down. Just say the word. That's all I'm going to say. Now, it's funny because Total Film took that statement and they said just say the word could be referenced to Billy Batson uh, when he says uh, Shazam to become Captain Marvel. So uh, very interesting. We'll see what happens, obviously, with Comic-Con going on right now. We could get some news as early as this weekend or maybe they'll save that and it could happen shortly after just so they could ride the wave of momentum because right now, obviously, it's all about Batman versus Superman. But as of right now, all signs point to probably um, him being Shazam, which sounds cool, but not not who I envisioned Dwayne Johnson to play. But we'll see what happens. On the small screen side of things, we were talking about Arrow. We also got to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which got a new addition to their cast courtesy of Lucy Lawless. Of course, Lucy Lawless was recently seen in Spartacus, uh, many of you know her, obviously, for her work in Xena, but she is going to be in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. As of right now, her role is undisclosed, but a lot of people are saying that she may be playing Captain Marvel. I don't know if we're going to go that route, but that's speculative at best. So definitely don't take that as something that's definite. Take it with a huge grain of salt until we get... Uh, further confirmation later this weekend. I mean, Marvel's been doing a really good job sending me stuff. Maybe they will send me something that will give me the goods and I can share it with you guys. While we're on the subject of comic books, I do want to talk about uh, one of my favorite books, uh, uh, literature, you know, from a literary standpoint, not from a comic standpoint, and that is Chuck Palahniuk's Fight Club. If there is a book out there that changed me as a person, it would definitely have to be Fight Club. I read Fight Club uh, when I was pretty young, and I watched the movie shortly after, and it just it just changed the way I looked at the world. In a it, to to a a lot of people say that oh you know uh, when you look at Fight Club, it's this this giant uh, fuck you to the world, and that's not necessarily the case. I mean, there's there's a lot of great underlying stories in fight club and i just you know i fell in love with the book i own the book i own the blu-ray i own the dvd it's just a, a a tremendous tremendous story but get this fight club is getting a sequel now before you jump out of your skin and think how the fuck are they going to do a sequel with norton and tyler durden and this and that well it's going to be a comic book sequel the Fight Club sequel will be available, but it will be in comic format. Of course, the book will be written by Chuck Palahniuk, and it will be titled Fight Club 2. And it's funny because the book is going to take place 10 years after the event of the novel, where the narrator, played by Edward Norton, actually marries Marla Singer, and they have a nine-year-old son. Obviously, uh, the book is probably going to use a lot of elements from Project Mayhem, but they also referenced a return of Tyler Durden, which, of course, was the narrator's alternate personality. Given the great relationship we got with Dark Horse, I cannot wait, wait to get this. Can't wait. As soon as I get it, I'm definitely going to review it 
and share it with you guys. Like I said, I'm a huge Fight Club fan. I own all the books, all the different versions of the book, the movie, and obviously it was a great introduction to other books that Chuck Palahniuk wrote, uh, favorites of mine including Snuff, Lullaby, just a lot of great books. He's probably one of my top five favorite authors, so I'm pumped. Uh, Fight Club sequel, like I said, coming in comic book format, courtesy of our friends at Dark Horse. All right, so you guys thought that we only had one bit of what the fuck movie news for this week. Well, no, we got a double dose. Uh, The second set of what the fuck movie news is courtesy of Will Ferrell and Adam McKay. Now, when you're hearing Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, you automatically think comedy. Yeah, it's going to be funny. No, it's not. And the reason I say that is because they want to create a movie based on the series, on the TV series Manimal. Now, if you're an 80s baby like I am, Manimal was on, I used to give it on Channel 4. It came out in 1983, 1982 or 83, and it was a live action show. And basically, the guy was, um, I believe his name was, was, I think it was Dr. He was a doctor. I know that. I think it was Dr. Dr. Chase, something like that. I think it was Dr. Chase. And basically, the guy had the ability to transform into any animal in the world. And he used those powers to, you know, solve crimes. The show only ran for about eight episodes, but it developed a bit of a cult following. People used to have a few laughs. You really can find them on YouTube because they are quite terrible. But get this. It looks like McKay and Farrell are going to try and bring Manimal to the big screen. My problem with this is that you have a show from 1983, and yes, there's tons of advancement, tons of advances in special effects. But unless you plan on making it some sort of a crazy comedy, it really just doesn't seem like something that's worth turning into film. Again, you're going to use Will Farrell. I guarantee you he'll probably be the lead, and it'll just be a... You know, typical Will Ferrell screaming humor, him turning into like a porpoise or a fucking rat or a mosquito, you know, just real terrible shit. I I mean, not not the not the thing that I think would be worth seeing in theaters. Uh, You know, we I learned my lesson after seeing Get Smart, which, if you remember, was uh, the reboot, uh, the the, the reboot of the Get Smart uh, TV series that they used with uh, Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway, it was shit. I believe The Rock was in that too. And that's what I'm saying. Like those old shows trying to trying to turn them around and create something new. The only series that has been successful, in my opinion, is Mission Impossible. And that's because they've moved so far away from the source material at this point that it's only Mission Impossible in name. That's it. But I figured I'd share that with you guys because it's... Uh, it definitely is some cringe-worthy news. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and it's also comic news, is that uh, Jen and Sylvia Soska, also called the Soska Twins, uh, who are working on WWE See No Evil 2, are signed on to direct a new film adaptation of Painkiller Jane. Now, if you were a comic fan in the late 90s, you may remember the Painkiller Jane character. They actually did a, um, a sci-fi movie in 2004 2005 and then they did a series called painkiller jane in 2007 or 8 i believe and um the series which had um christana loken who is the the 
the the the the stereotypical not not stereotypical the the uh, typecast uh, female sci-fi character her and uh, the chick from Battlestar Galactica, uh, Katie Sackhoff. Definitely two chicks. Whenever you want to think of sci-fi movies that have a little bit of nudity, you're either going with Katie Sackhoff or you're going with Christana Loken. In any case, Christana uh, Loken did play Painkiller Jane, and um, the character Painkiller Jane is about a undercover cop who gets shot, and when she she goes into a coma, comes out of the coma, and ends up becoming a superhero. She ends up getting superhuman uh, regenerative powers. It's a, it's a pretty cool book. I mean, you could probably find uh, the can- the Painkiller Jane books online. If anybody's interested in checking them out, I think I may have some of them saved um, just because there were a lot of books that I had when I was a kid that got damaged or I sold, and um, I made it a point to try and pick them up, and Painkiller Jane was one of them. I mean, that was a book that when I worked in the comic shop, people were reading left and right. Painkiller Jane... Um, a lot of the image stuff, Spawn, Savage Dragon, uh, Nightmare, Cyberforce, all those books, The Darkness, Lady Death. I, I own a fuck ton of Lady Death books. Um, Lady Death, Evil Ernie, Purgatory, all those books. You know, that was that was the, the, the heyday when everybody was just cranking out really awesome books at the time. And Painkiller Jane, it went under the radar, but it was never really a book that, that was bad. It was quite enjoyable, but... In any event, it looks like they're going to try again. Uh, Jen and Sylvia Soska, I mean, they did American Mary and they're doing See No Evil 2. Uh, it looks like they're going to they're, they're gonna become the new dynamic duo of Straight to DVD. We'll see if Painkiller Jane gets the, the big nod and goes to the big screen. We'll sh- we shall see what happens. To wrap things up, of course, straight from San Diego Comic-Con, we got some amazing Spider-Man and Sinister Six news. It looks like both films are getting release dates. It looks like the Sinister Six will be happening first, and Amazing Spider-Man 3 will be pushed off into 2018. Sinister Six obviously will be first, and the fallout from that will boil over into Amazing Spider-Man 3. Now, the problem is that Amazing Spider-Man, even though it was successful, it wasn't successful to the point where they wanted to fast-track a third film. Now, I don't know how they're going to try and keep Spider-Man relevant four years from now, but I think Marvel, well, not Marvel, I think Sony definitely has their work cut out for them. If anything, I really would just like for Sony to find a way to share their their Spider-Man rights with Marvel and at least try to utilize utilize Spider-Man in other mediums, whether it's in the Avengers or even referencing him in the Daredevil Netflix series, but you got to find a way to keep Spider-Man out there because if you're not getting Sinister Six until 2016 and then you're not getting Amazing Spider-Man 3 till 2018, that's a two-year gap between the films and a four-year gap between now and Amazing Spider-Man 3. Definitely something that concerns me and I continue to stand by the fact that Marvel is probably chomping at the bit for Sony to not put out another film so that they can scoop the rights back up and bring Spider-Man home where he belongs. Anyway, uh, Mortis says they should have a Spider-Man Blade crossover and fight Morbius. You know what the problem is with that? I believe Blade is owned by New Line. This was when Marvel was giving rights out to everybody. Blade, I think they got the rights back. I think they also got the rights back for The Punisher, Daredevil, and Elektra. 
They don't have rights for the Fantastic Four, the Silver Surfer, or Galactus, or any of the X-Men or X-Force. So definitely some of the bigger franchises are still farmed out. Um, a lot of the other stuff they did bring in-house. Like I said, the Punisher, Blade, Elektra, Daredevil, all that stuff they brought in. Um, but those other series, I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing another Blade film. If anything, I'd like to see Marvel relaunch a cinematic version of their Marvel Knights line, uh, doing films like that, like Ghost Rider, who I, which I think they got back in-house, uh, Blade, Morbius, you know, those real dark characters. I think that if you do that and you launch that as a Marvel Knights imprint, you can really do some awesome stuff because I mean, obviously, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, the Avengers, you know, a lot of that PG-13 lighthearted fare, you can do that, but you can also really, really make a killing with a very, with a new Blade movie, uh, you can create a new franchise out of that, you can create a new franchise out of The Punisher, I mean, listen, Hellboy was, was probably one of the few non-Marvel DC films that everybody likes because it was gritty, it was grungy, it was dark, but it was enjoyable. And I think Marvel can still do that with those darker characters like the like Blade, like the Punisher, uh, the Midnight Suns, Ghost Rider. You can do stuff with those characters. I definitely agree. Mortis said uh, Marvel was going bankrupt in the mid 90s, so they sold a lot of rights for movies to their characters. That is correct. I remember that just characters left and right, just real shitty stuff. Before the Fantastic Four movie and the sequel that came out, there was that really, really terrible attempt at the Fantastic Four that just looked god-awful. I believe it was done with, a, with Roger Corman was involved. It was shit on a stick. But, um, again, that's a story for another day. But in any event, uh, that actually wraps up the entertainment news for this week. We actually stayed under three hours. Kind of pumped. Anyway, a couple of things to wrap things up. Uh, we're going to try the next coming the next couple of weeks. Like I said, we're going to do alternating weeks with MMA and gaming, depending on the news for that week. And we're going to try that out. Um, we may be testing episodes of My Take Radio twice a week, starting in maybe late August, early September. And if that goes well, maybe we would do that permanently. Uh, Mortis, aren't we supposed to be getting a Deathlock movie to the Marvel character, not the cartoon band? Deathlock is actually an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, whether they plan on spinning that off into a film remains to be seen. Um, if you haven't seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mortis, I definitely recommend you check it out. Uh, the second season after the events of Captain America and the Winter Soldier definitely picked up some steam. I don't know if you've been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, get a, if you get a chance, check it out. The first season... Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. The first season, eh. second season, though, really kicks it into high gear, especially after the events of Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And you get to see a lot of little Easter eggs. But Deathlock definitely is part of the equation. All right. That is going to wrap up this week's episode of My Take Radio. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 236. For Thursday, July 24th, 2014. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, would like to advertise with us, or have any other questions or concerns, you can always drop me a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, at My Take Radio, Google+. You can follow our boards on Pinterest. 
We're all over the place. Uh, whatever links you need, you can always find them in the show notes. All right, on behalf of myself, Slick, Andrea, Quark, Blade, Ben, The Rightist, uh, Jay Santi, and the rest of the MTR family, including uh, our friends and colleagues from Royal Flush, our friends at VGN, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Happy to be back in the saddle, and I will catch you guys next week at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Thanks for watching. See you guys later. Peace. All right, let's get some outro music this week. I believe we're going to give a little love to our friends at OC Remix. Um, until next week, I think we got some a couple of bands sending us some music. But this week, uh, we're going to go with our friends at ocremix.org. And the music we're going to go with, uh, what do we got? You know what? I believe it's time to go with one of my favorites, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2's uh, Disjointed Chemical, and the artist is Air 3S. You can find that track and any of the other outro music from OC Remix at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. See you around, guys. Peace.
Fifty seconds 